Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. I'm just kind of fussing around here with all the stuff on my desk trying to get it all organized here. But that's pretty much normal around here. Um, what's that Chinese curse? May, may you live in interesting times. Uh, I, I, interesting I can handle. Cataclysmic? That's another story. And so we're in this very strange position now where we have an illegal government. Uh, we have uh, the opposition party allegedly um, completely going along with it, even though they, they stand up and protest a bit. They actually aren't doing anything to change it, uh, holding mass you know, uh, election uh, fraud hearings, uh, an audit. Uh, they've done nothing. You know, Arizona did something. They did an audit, at least. And they're the only state that did. But uh, they haven't switched their, their Trump uh, electors for the Brandon ones. So they haven't done anything. So there's a collective nothing. There's a collective of, of, uh, you know, acceptance. And if I hear the term President Biden one more time, I'm going to start throwing things because this is ridiculous. There's no excuse for this whatsoever that, you know, people need to stand up and uh, not say that. You know, and anybody that says President Biden is part of the coup. Now, I don't care who you are. <laughs> you know, even on the show, we get some very, very distinguished guests. And I, I really I'm torn between contradicting them um, and keeping them on the show. I don't want to offend some of our, our, our big people because it's widely accepted that you can actually say President Biden uh, in public. You, you can say President Biden in mixed company. You can say you can say it anywhere, even though it's not true. It's a blatant lie. And so it's like saying Biden administration. There is no Biden administration. It's a lie. Everything that's happening is illegal. It's a lie. We are through the looking glass. We are on the, we're in a, in a parallel, right? we're in an anti-universe here. We're, we're in a world of illegality. We're in a place we've never been. We don't have a federal government. What we have is a coup, a dictatorship, an imposed government by the government. And what this really does more than anything else is this shows everybody in this country exactly what kind of government the government wants for us. Well, damn it, it's not their choice. It's our choice. This is why I started Action Radio, to write the laws that will set us free again, that will guarantee our freedom from the very things that are happening today, and yet you folks aren't sharing the show. I mean, you feel, I'm, not, I'm not accusing, well, it's kind of weird. It's like the people I'm accusing are the people that are listening to the show. You know, what I'm saying is you need to reach all the people that aren't listening to the show. You need to reach the people with our bills, with our, with our citizen legislation, and all of you who think, well, it can't work. Of course it can't work until you do something. And you, yes, you, right there listening right now, you have to copy the links and send them to media and send them to Congress and send them to your friends post it on social media um that's it <laughs> you don't have to do any more than that i mean if you do that that's that's all i'm asking you know but uh, uh that that little step you know it's free <laughs> it takes a little bit of time you know what a couple minutes to uh go to writeyourlaws.com, uh click on legislation click on all proposed laws uh and find our our three big bills right now actually four but i'll, I'll settle for three vaccine product liability ending big tech censorship and a constitutional amendment that takes the power of congress to borrow money if you use just those three just those three. Send just those three bills out uh, and start the, start the dialogue talking. See, the only conversation in Washington, in Washington is how much to raise the debt ceiling, not, not whether they should even have a debt ceiling or, how, or even lowering the debt ceiling. Why do we have a debt ceiling, especially when I call it the debt elevator that keeps going up? <laughs> That's what it really is. I got to start. I, I got to. Uh, my I think there's a couple of Substack articles I'm going to do probably in the next few days. One of them is going to be on the nation of government, how government has actually become a country, has actually become its own sovereign, uh, independent of us. They simply don't care, but they need us to fund them. 
And so we're, we're uh, territories or colonies of, uh, of Washington. Um, just before the show started, I heard a horrendous thing on One American News that the, that the, uh, the FBI uh, is going to have a new building, oh boy, spending our money, uh, and it's going to be twice the size of the Pentagon. So in other words, the domestic security, the KGB, the SAVAK, the Gestapo, the, the Stasi, you know, uh, who else? Name another Chinese police. Uh, not China, I was thinking, what's the Chinese police force called? I don't know. Uh, Xi Jinping's people, <laughs> whatever you call it. The People's Republic of China's people, <laughs> you know, in ter- the Ministry of Security, whatever it is. Why would you have uh, a, a federal law enforcement agency that is illegal under the Constitution because there's no provision for a federal law enforcement agency in the Constitution. Yet another thing that the gelding old party, the GOP, doesn't raise. In fact, nobody raises this. Not even Ron Paul raises this. Well, maybe he does, and I haven't. Uh, Ron Paul, I'm thinking. Uh, maybe Ron Paul has, and I haven't noticed it. I've got to go to his uh, webpage and check it out. But the fact is that if we have an internal security apparatus and a building and a complex that is twice the size of the Pentagon, which is responsible for defending the entire United States, and apparently much of the world, too, from much of the rest of the world, <laughs> And, and that's where they think the war is. So in other words, national defense is now secondary to internal security. That in itself should tell you something. And this is why Brandon has to be removed, uh, not impeached, arrested. This is a crime. Everybody goes along with him from Kevin McCarthy, uh, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, uh, all these people. Anybody who is involved with it, Mike Pence especially, needs to be arrested. And now folks are, are telling me, Josie too is a big proponent of this, that it's coming. You know, they're, they're just waiting. They're just waiting. They're all going to be arrested. You'll see. And I'm, I'm not seeing. I'm just simply not. It's not happening. Uh, it should have happened uh, the day after the, uh, the 2020 election. When the, as soon as they post the results, we go, this is a fraud. Uh, we know how this came about, you know, from Zuckerberg's money to the battleground states to the, uh, uh, all the illegal maneuvers of the, of the, the ballot counting, of the blocking of the observers, of everything else, of the computers, the hacks, the voting machines, all the stuff that happened. All of those people need to be arrested. So we need to set up a, a federal election fraud detention center. <laughs> Where should we, how about Fairbanks, Alaska? That would be a good place to put it. We'll, we'll start there. And then the, and where, where heat is a privilege. <laughs> you, know, you know me. Um, but here's something else that's really disturbing about this. Uh, the FBI headquarters is not in Washington, D.C. Now, for a long time, I thought to myself, we should spread this out. We should have uh, all the various departments in Washington in different places, you know, just so that people, they couldn't centralize power in D.C., and I'm thinking in this electronic age, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, I thought of this like just this morning. Now I'm thinking, because this is going to be in Virginia. So Washington, D.C. isn't within Washington, D.C. anymore. So here's a question for you. Is it constitutional to have a federal agency located outside of D.C. in a state? I'm not talking about a regional office, a branch office, a state office approved by the state. I'm talking about the headquarters. So FBI, I'm going to write a little note to myself, HQ, and all... HQs of DC must be in DC. We need we need a DC containment uh, must be in DC. So the, my next idea for a bill idea for today is we'll call it the, we'll call it the the DC government containment act. <laughs> you guys like that? Two one five three eight three three eight three two. Two one five three eight three three eight three two is the number to call in. You can message in on our live chat. You can uh, call us on the Skype line. Live chat works anywhere in the world, by the way. Just get your free account at the bottom of the page. Sign in. Um, a Skype line works anywhere in the world. If you're awake in uh, 
uh, Mongolia, you want to call us, you know, feel free. Uh, hop online, and uh, you're, we'll get your call the next day. I have to screen it first. And then once you get your account okay, then you can call in from anywhere. And so uh, we've got this service here. And, you know, as the show grows, well, I, you know, I'm still working for our big breakout. Once the show breaks out big time, um, we will have call screening and all kinds of things to, uh, to sort of limit the amount of people that are, that are going to be trying to get in here. Anyway, uh, but that's, that's, that's coming. It's just a question of time. I figure we get Trump's endorsement in the next, you know, six months. Uh, and then things will really start to happen around here. So we need a D.C. Containment Act. And the purpose of the D.C. Containment Act was to force any headquarters of any government department inside D.C. See, what we really need is to, is to have all the residents leave and, leave and live somewhere else. So here's what's interesting about D.C. The 14th Amendment, and it's very clear about this, too. The 14th Amendment says, oh, we've got messages, I've got stuff coming in. Uh, okay, there we go. Um, the 14th Amendment says that those that people who are citizens of the United States are also, states, uh, of the, uh, are also citizens of the state in which they reside. Well, since D.C. is not a state, it's a district. It actually has an independent status. People who live in D.C. have no state residency whatsoever, which means they have no state citizenship. So I'm wondering if people in D.C. People in DC have U.S. citizenship, but they don't have state citizenship because D.C. is not a state, nor can it ever be. It's specifically designated as a district for the federal government to separate them from the states because it would be a conflict of interest to have D.C., the federal government headquarters within any state that would ruin that state's sovereignty and that would give an unfair advantage to that state over all the other states. So D.C. must remain a separate district. It can never be a state. It, I don't even think it should have a representative in Congress because they're not a state. Only the state should be represented in Congress. So, so D.C.'s representative should be immediately revoked. Certainly you can't make a mistake and give them a couple of senators. That would be insane. So the 14th Amendment says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, which means all the illegal aliens and all your illegal alien kids born, no, they are not citizens. Uh, that's just an accident of policy, but that can be changed. Uh, and it says are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside, which means that, that people who live in D.C. have no state. They have no state. So uh, there's, no, there's no state sovereignty. There's no state representation. They are not a citizen of the state. They are basically a prisoner of the federal government, which they live within D.C. See, I don't think anybody should live within D.C. All, all people should live within a state. That way you have the protection of your state. You have a state designation. D.C. should be exclusively for basically caging the rats. So you have all the rats in one place. So my new thought is that every uh, headquarters, every agency, every everything associated with the federal government should be located in D.C., and just put them all in one place. It'll be easier to watch, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, and and I wonder. Here's nothing too. Like Virginia, and um, how do they tax federal workers? I wonder if this, this should be like a separate federal tax for people that live in Virginia. Call it a uh, call it a, a, a re, you know, what do we call it? A re, not a residence tax because they're citizens. If they live in Virginia, then they're citizens of Virginia. You know, that makes sense. Or Maryland. Those are the two places where, where government employees live. Anyway, I just found this concept fascinating. I'll, I'll keep working on it. Uh, you can send me your ideas. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, Twitter, sort of. I mean, I, I post every show on Twitter, but I'm so restricted there still. Hey, Elon. Elon, baby. You know, have you looked at my account lately? <laughs> I'm still being restricted. You know, so, uh, so we shall see. So here's an article that first appeared in American Greatness, a great and wonderful website. It says, planned new FBI headquarters is twice the size of the Pentagon. That's the scariest thing I've heard all day. I mean, really, why do they need all that? Uh, you'll see why. Allegedly, it's like green. It's a green building, LGBTQ green stuff. All right. Anyway, this is written by senior analyst for strategy, J. Michael Waller, who says the federal government is proceeding with plans to build a new FBI KGB headquarters. Sorry, I added the extra letters. Complex, twice the size of the Pentagon. Hmm. 
riveted into the colossal new project are regulations to ensure that the FBI Center will comply with diversity, equity, LGBTQ+, and climate change political goals. In other words, those will be the favored people, and everybody who disagrees will be labeled a domestic terrorist. That's what this is all about. Good people believe in diversity, equity, LGBTQ+, whatever that is, climate change, and politi- climate change political goals. Those are the good people, all right, according to the FBI and the federal government. The bad people are those that realize we have diversity without calling it that. Uh, equity is nonsense. That just means stealing from one to give to another. LGBTQ, we don't have special rights. Nobody has special rights. Everybody has equal rights. You can't have special rights and equal rights at the same time. They are incompatible. Either everybody has equal rights or some people have special rights and some people don't. <laughs> That's how, that's how you divide it up, okay? Everybody has equal rights, or some people have special rights, and others have lesser rights, and that's where we are now. Climate change political goals? Now, my, I'd love to be on The View, just because I think it'd be fun. You know, I'd love to argue with those folks. I mean, it, it'd be uh, totally nonsensical, and they'd shut me down with all kinds of stuff and call me racist, sexist, homophobe, every kind of phobe you can think of. It's like, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm really not. <laughs> boredom. I think I'm afraid of boredom. Uh, but short of that, no, I'm not afraid. I'm just, I just disagree. There's a difference between being a, a phobe and a, and a disagreeer. Huge difference. But they say phobe to put you on the defensive, right? Anyway, so I'd love to go on and talk about, uh, so show me evidence of climate change. Show me. Tell me where. Oh, the polar ice caps are melting. No, they're not. The polar bears are dying. No, they're not. Winters are getting milder. Nope. No, not this year. <laughs> you know, you know, so, so where's the evidence? You know, has anybody been forced to show me one person who's been forced to sell their house on the waterfront? including Obama, because the seas were rising. Just one. Show me one person that was, that was forced out of their house because the oceans were rising because the polar ice caps were melting. Last I saw, the polar ice caps are still ice. Now, the thing is, the polar ice caps should melt between ice ages. That's the whole point. Okay? We shouldn't have glaciers between ice ages. Those are remnants of the ice age. So if, you, if you're trying to preserve a, something from uh, you know, 50,000 years ago, that's rather interesting. That's your environmental goal, to remain 50,000 years in the past considering what the environment does now. And we know that warming is the best thing for, for humans out there. Humanity prospers in warmer climates. There's more food. There's more intellectual development. We're not sitting around freezing. We can do stuff. I mean, I don't care how hot it is. Why do you think all the writers and artists and creative people are, are in the southern warmer climates around the world, not just the United States, and the, the northern climates, you know, where they're, are they're like slaves to industrial production factories, you know, mines, things like that. There's a reason for that. Because warm, warm promotes more interesting intellectual development and artistic creativity. Why do you think the best musicians, the best writers, the best everything in the United States are in the southern half? Oh, yeah, northern half's going to really be mad at me now. Why do you think all the factories, the, the, the car plants, the mines, the, uh, you know, all the stuff that they have are in the northern half? Because it's freezing cold there. So you, you, people get regimented in freezing cold to stay warm, and you know, they, they go to work in their, their heated factory and make cars and make whatever else they make. And the southern folks were down here, you know, writing, hunting, <laughs> writing songs, <laughs> you know, painting, <laughs> doing what Southerners do, cooking great food with spices in it that Northerners can't handle. It's a real difference, but climate is huge. You look at the climate of the United States and you look at the different states. Look at New York versus Florida. New York, socialism, regulation, control. Um, yeah, industrial. Well, at least they used to. <laughs> you know, big cities, old cities, Rust Belt, you know, all that kind of stuff. Look at Florida. New, developing, creative, warm. You know, stuff's happening here. We're, we're uh, progressive in terms of, of uh, uh, cultural societal development, progressive in terms of freedom. I hate the term progressive because it's really applied to the most regressive people out there. They want to regress into a communist tyranny. So the other th- there's nothing progressive about progressives. They're, they're regressive progressives. But that gets complicated. Anyway, back to the FBI. 
article says the plan unveiled last September has received little attention. No kidding. If it was unveiled last September, that means it was before the midterm elections. Did you hear about it before the elections? No, of course not. It was censored, just like, uh, you know, the balloon and everything else. It's uh, Hunter's laptop and everything else. They don't want you to know. In fact, it'd be fascinating, you know, to uh, just uh, I wonder if there's an article that says, here's all the stories that should have come out before the election. Well, let's, let's find out right now. Let me, let me do a web search. <laughs> you know me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just having fun here. I know most of you listen on podcasts, so you're probably chuckling to yourself. You know, so the stories, the stories that should have come Oh, can't. I'm, I'm reaching over my microphone to type this. Come out before the election. Let's just see what comes up. Because it could, this could be any election. I mean, who knows? Right? We'll just have some fun. Early voting 2016. Why states began offering the... Okay, that's not early voting. Your election starts finished. Nope. This is Democrats' doomsday scenario for election night. No, no Marcus, no, no. Nothing. See, nothing on this. Right? So I have to go to page six before I find something related to what I... The Comey letter, six swing states. Okay, da, 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 da. Well, we know election results. And they missed the key to on the word election. Americans vote a promise. Nope. They're not going to help me. <laughs> Nobody's written a story on the stories that should have come up before the election. Great. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So search engines are effectively useless. You've got to get through about five pages of propaganda before you can get to what you actually uh, wanted to investigate. I found that out when I started researching viruses. It's fascinating. All, everything came up vaccine. I didn't write vaccine. I just said viruses. Tell me how to kill viruses. And you got to kind of, you know, dance around. I'm still going through pages. I'm going to try a couple more pages, see if I can find anything that talks about stories that should have come out before any election. Uh, like a list of conspiracy theories. <laughs> That's Wikipedia. What do you expect, right? Uh, and, uh, and the, well, Jesus is there in the Wikipedia. So I, so I write in about um, stories that should have come out before the election, and Jesus in Wikipedia appears. Okay, try to make that connection for you, if you for me if you can. I have no clue. Let me get back to the article. Uh, the plan unveiled last September has received little attention. We know that. For years, the FBI has sought to vacate its present headquarters, a brutalist concrete bunker, <laughs> you know, uh, on stilts. Why is that on stilts? Are they expecting a flood? Occupying two city blocks between the White House and the Capitol. Oh, so that's where the FBI The FBI between the White House and the Capitol? How convenient. How interesting. So our national security state, our deep state, our KGB, is put right between the White House and the Capitol. Fascinating. So then everybody that's going between them, I guess they have cameras out there watching the street. It's probably thermal imaging and, uh, you know, facial recognition for everybody driving up and down uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. What do you bet? Now, I've actually been to the FBI building. It's kind of funny. I was there as an intern, right? So, so this is back in 1980. Uh, so I'm a junior in college. Uh, University of Massachusetts, great liberal institution, which I didn't know was liberal at the time uh, until I got away from it. <laughs> and I went to the I went to. Uh, uh, East Germany, <laughs> you know, across the uh, tr- cross checkpoint trial into East Berlin and saw what socialism really looks like. Uh, the, the, that's when I realized how liberal my college was. Anyway, but I, I didn't I didn't quite know that. In fact, Washington, you know, sort of convinced me, uh, uh, started, started me very quickly on my great road to uh, conservatism. And then I went well beyond conservatism to where I am now an anti-federalist. Just in the great tradition of the anti-federalist that wrote the anti-federalist papers, I'm with them 100 percent. Okay. So that's my new title, Anti-Federalist. Anyway, so back to the FBI building. So I go on this tour, right? And you see the fingerprint stuff and all the cars. And this is 1980s technology, so it's pre-computer. It was actually pretty impressive. They got a lot of stuff there. The tour is pretty impressive. If you, if you go on the FBI tour, I don't know what it is now. I don't even know if they have an FBI tour. You know, I'd like to see the, the room where all the conspirators hang out, all the people that are subverting, uh, you know, American freedoms. You know, do, do they have a, the anti-freedom department? Do they have the domestic terrorism department? You know, can you go visit them? Do, do they have the uh, suppression of free speech department? <laughs> you know, these are all, this is what they need the FBI building for, right? 
And so I wasn't even planning to talk about this. This is kind of funny. Uh, but that's, that's what I think is going on, right? And so anyway, so there's a, you know, I'm 20 years old, I'm like that college intern, uh, junior year, I think, was it 20? Maybe 19. Somewhere 19 or 20, somewhere there. Anyway, maybe I just had my birthday. Who knows? Um, no, it's springtime. No, anyway. So they're in the FBI building getting the tour. And then they take us down to the, 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 the firing range. This is the cool part, right? And so we're behind the, the plexiglass. And, of course, we get, to, you know, the, 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 it's silence. Um, so the guy brings out a Tommy gun. Or he, he shoots some handguns. This is standard uh, armament for an FBI agent. It was a very authoritarian voice. I remember this guy, kind of pot-bellied, you know, it's like a brown suit, something like that. Throws on his, his ear, uh, his headset. And he shoots his handgun, and he shoots some kind of small rifle. Then he brings out a Tommy gun, <laughs> which is which is an automatic, you know, it's his machine gun, right? It's, it's the old, it's the, it was what they used to use in the um, prohibition. The gangsters used it, and they had they put it in a violin case, right? Or they had the one with the drum. So they had the you, you remember the five forty five, which is a handgun. That's why it's called a submachine gun. Submachine guns are handgun caliber, and machine guns are rifle caliber. That's the difference. So the so the Tommy gun is a long barrel, which is kind of useless for a forty five shell. Uh, the 45 shoots best out of a five-inch barrel. So the Tommy gun actually slows it down. <laughs> it's kind of weird. You can have too long a barrel for, for a gun because for a handgun, it doesn't have as much energy as a rifle bullet. A rifle can go down a long barrel and keep accelerating because the rifle powder, there's more of it, a lot more of it, and it burns more slowly. So it's still accelerating that bullet out, the, out, the, out a two-foot barrel. But a handgun, the powder burns very rapidly, so it can be fired out of a short barrel. So after five inches, there's not much benefit to a 45. So the, the 12 to 15 inch, whatever, 16 inch, what's, what's the legal minimum? 16 inches? So it's probably 17, 16 and a half inch barrel, whatever it is. Uh, it actually slows down the slug, uh, the, the actual bullet itself. Anyway, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that he gets a Tommy gun, and this is the first time I've seen a machine gun fire, and it like blows the crap out of this you know, human silhouette target, and it just fires like all 100 rounds in about, what, three seconds. <laughs> it was great. And they come back out and say, hey, any, any questions? Of course, you know me, right? Yeah, I got a question. Yes, the college intern from the Liberal University in the back, please step forward. Yeah, when, um, when do FBI agents have a chance to use uh, fully automatic weapons in urban settings? <laughs> and that's just, uh, of course, the crowd's silent. Well, we, uh, we at the FBI, uh, certain blockade situations, well, we don't use automatic weapons, you know, in urban, you know, in urban uh, combat. I mean, urban uh, situations, I mean, urban, you know, into uh, uh, saving lives is the primary duty of the FBI. So I caught him completely flat, right? He just did not know how to handle this question. It was hysterical. This is like the beginning of my journalism career. So I thought it was, I'm surprised nobody else asked it. If the FBI has fully automatic weapons, when do they use them? What, Waco? We're coming up on the 30th anniversary about Waco. We're going to talk a lot about Waco uh, as time goes on. But think about that. So, so these people are happily watching an FBI agent fire a machine gun and not asking where they use it. See, the FBI is a domestic law enforcement federal agency that is unconstitutional. So why are we allowing an unconstitutional agency to carry around machine guns when Americans can't? Oh, with a certain license and fees and all that kind of stuff and massive background checks. Yeah. But uh, see, this is the Second Amendment in reverse, right? This is what I'm talking about. This is why I wrote a bill disarming all the federal government, uh, all the bureaucrats, disarming all of them. None of them have uh, – there's nothing in the Constitution that says anybody who works for the federal government can be armed. Therefore, they can't. Tenth Amendment, powers not specifically delegated or reserved to the states. The state government officials can be armed. You know, the state police, you know, state uh, – anybody in the state, you know, according – depending on the state – depending on how much they're suppressing rights, but nobody who works for the federal government has a constitutional authority to be armed. That includes the Capitol Hill police. D.C. local police? Probably. I don't know. Let's talk about that. But the thing is, the FBI has no business being armed at all. In fact, they have no business doing law enforcement. If they stuck to investigation, even that is questionable. 
but I can see a use for uh, uh, fingerprint and genetic material, DNA stuff. They've got the money and the resources to put together some really good stuff that the states can use. Now, the states are okay with that. That's fine. If the states aren't okay with it, then we have to disarm these people. I think we have to disarm them anyway. That's why I wrote the bill. Back to this article. Plans for the new FBI headquarters specified that it will be built on one of three sites in suburban Virginia. See, that to me should be illegal. This is what started me on this new path, that all federal agencies should be within D.C., all of them. Because once they're in a state, they have undue influence on the state. They're using state resources, state taxpayer stuff. That state gets an advantage for having a government building, government employees, an extra tax base. And they are, they are predisposed to favor federal government stuff because they have agencies in their state. Therefore, no federal agency should be within a state. None. Branch offices, maybe. Even that, I think, might be questionable. I think it should all be in Washington. All right, because that's where it is. So state, states can handle their own states. This is like a Pianchi question. I'll ask him whether, whether all federal agencies should be restricted to D.C., including branch offices. That includes the FBI. You want to call the FBI? Call the FBI in Washington. All right? State police handle everything else. Well, they're not big enough. Okay, they'll call it the National Guard. They've got F-16s. Okay? So if your state national, if your, most states have an Air National Guard. Most states have F-16s at least, or A-10s. They've got a lot of really good stuff in the state and National Guards. You don't need the FBI. What does the FBI do? Well, they join with the ATF. They massacre people at Waco, bury the bodies, and uh, consider it a job well done. You know, my curiosity is how many former FBI and ATF agents who killed the Branch Davidios, Davidians with, with poison CS gas set their place on fire, punched holes in it so the wind would rip through and, and make the fire spread quickly, shot people as they tried to exit the building, and then buried their bodies to hide the evidence of their massacre. How many of those people are still serving in the federal government, in the FBI and the ATF? How, you know, where's, where was Merrick Garland? I, I can't find this information. I've been looking for it. Uh, Chris Ray apparently was a little too young for Waco. He wasn't quite out of college yet. So we'll, we'll give him a pass on that. Of course, not for everything else he's done. But where was Merrick Garland during Waco? Where was, we know where Bill Clinton was. He was celebrating. Same with Janet Reno. Bill Clinton still hasn't had to answer for Waco. So you hear that House, House GOP? 30th anniversary of Waco. Do you think it's about time you held a decent hearing on it? Find out what happens. Let's trace where the people are. I can't find anything on it. So, so I need a good investigative report. In fact, if you're a college intern, you want to get in touch with me? Have I got a project for you? <laughs> yes, I'll put you on the air. You get plenty of airtime. Good resume material. Where are the, the, uh, the people from Waco now? Back to the article. Plans for the new FBI headquarters specify that it will be built on one of three sites in Virginia. Those sites are large parcels of 58, 61, and 80 acres. That's bigger than some family farms. 80 acres? <laughs> That's huge. Article says that means at a minimum, the new FBI headquarters complex, complex, hell, it's practically a city, will be twice the size of the Pentagon building, covering about 29 acres plus a five-acre courtyard. Courtyard. Oh, my. Are they going to have horse-drawn carriages? Oh, this is going to be fun. Is it going to be green? Are we going to ride there by horseback? Says the, Korea, the Pentagon, until recently, was the largest office building on Earth. Yeah, the Pentagon's huge. Have you ever flown over it, flown into D.C. and seen the Pentagon? It's big. It's really big because it has, I think it's still, it has twice the number of bathrooms of most buildings because it was built during segregation in Virginia. So there's like white bathrooms. At least they used to have white bathrooms and black bathrooms. Hysterical. God, the idiocy of, of, some, uh, of some policies, what people tolerate up until relatively recently. Then it says, the Kremlin in Moscow, a walled fortress containing the administrative offices of the Russian central government, the official president's residence, massive auditoriums, and arsenal. That's where they keep the guns, folks. A museum, four palaces, four palaces three cathedrals, and several churches. It's only 66 acres. So the FBI headquarters is going to be, by itself, the FBI headquarters is going to be bigger than the entire Russian government. 
because of the entire Kremlin by about 30%, maybe 20%. That to me is hysterical. How big is this going to be? So how are they going to staff this? This is going to take a lot of money. This is probably going to be their own appropriations bill. So you think the FBI is bad now? Wait till I get this building. Who wants to work there? Maybe I should apply. You think I get a job at the FBI? That'd be funny. No, I'm too old. Then I say, oh, sorry, you're past 57. Only we want 20 years out of people, so you've got to, be, got to apply by 37 if you want to be in federal law enforcement. That's real, by the way. That's one of the things I discovered when I went to uh, U.S. Customs before it became Customs and uh, Border Protection was that being over 37, I was ineligible for law enforcement. So that, that really cut my career short because all the interesting jobs are in law enforcement. The other jobs are more administrative. Uh, although customs inspector can have its moments, certainly, uh, especially on the border. So I was in San Francisco airport, which is a little too tame for me. Uh, I, I need the adrenaline rush. <laughs> I think that's why I'm in radio. All right. General Service Administration, which administers federal properties, has selected the three sites. Isn't that big of them? The 58-acre property in Springfield, Virginia, GSA says, is federally owned land under the jurisdiction, custody, and control of the GSA. Really? Did the Virginia state legislature approve it? This is a John, Jonathan Mosley question. I should ask, I'm going to ask Mosley about this for Monday. Hey, Jonathan, if you're listening, give me a call. Uh, what, what's going on in Virginia? Is the federal government moving out of D.C. and moving into Virginia? It says the government would have to buy. Now, see, we know that this is this is uh, that's not essentially that's not necessarily true. Federally owned land under the jurisdiction, custody, and control of the GSA. So the, the, it's only federally owned land if the state of Virginia allowed it to be federally owned for necessary buildings. See, I don't think this building is necessary at all. And if it is, it has to be in D.C. It can't be in Virginia. It can't be in a state because I believe all, state, all federal agencies should now be headquartered and stay in D.C. So we keep all the rats in one cage. Then it says the government would have to buy or lease either, the other, either of the other two properties available in Maryland. The state of Maryland and Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, that's the, uh, uh, the, the, the metro it's called, uh, owns 60 the 61-acre size site in Greenbelt. <laughs> Greenbelt is a nice name for a town on, on the Beltway, the, the highway that rings Washington. The 80-acre parcel of it's the former Landover Mall, uh, which is privately owned. So they're, they're going to steal them all, right? This is why I don't believe in eminent domain. Mm-hmm. GSA, okay, so anyway, it gets bigger. Let me see if I can get the site design and structure of the new FBI headquarters must advance racial equality and support for underserved communities through the federal government. Wait a minute. So the purpose of the FBI is a jobs program? That's interesting. So in other words, if it, if it must advance ra- racial equity, does that mean that everybody be proportionally represented? You're going to have a certain percentage of white people a certain percentage of black people, a certain percentage of Hispanics and Asians, representatives of their demographics within the society at large. Is that what they're saying? No. You know, in fact, uh, Tucker Carlson did a report. As I suspected, most of the people that are being appointed in the Biden administration are black women, by far. The judges, the um, administrative folks, a lot of people. The, majority, the, the vast majority, I think it's Michelle Obama, is, is, intent on, is intent on staffing the Brandon insurrection, the illegal government, with black women. I mean, that's okay. That's fine. Uh, it's, it's not legal. <laughs> it's an interesting idea because uh, it goes against qualifications. You know, and so if you're qualified for – if, if, if black women are the most qualified for all these judgeships and all these positions, great. I don't care. I just don't think that's the case. You know, I think this is staffing of people that are – like I say, you watch the Tucker Carlson report. These people are not that bright. There's a woman who's uh, up for judgeship and uh, Senator Kennedy of Louisiana asked her if she knew what the fifth of uh, – um, Article 5 of the Constitution was, and she didn't know. Now, I'm not really well-versed on Article 5, so I understand that. That's about convention of states uh, and uh, ratifying amendments to the Constitution and things like that. I'm not as well-versed in that one. But then she said, then he says, well, what's something about Article 2? Well, that's the president and the executive. She better know that if she's going to be a federal judge. 
you know, and this is what's so staggering. These people are so woefully ignorant. That's why they make these horrendous decisions and opinions, not knowing anything about what they're doing, because they don't even know the Constitution to begin with. Anyway, so this is fascinating. So, so the executive order d- defines equity. Oh, here we go. Okay, so we're going to have racial equity, not equality, equity. In other words, they're going to decide, you know, what each race should get to, to, uh, to distribute evenly the spoils. So that means you don't have to be representative of your population in the country. That would be equality. Sort of, well, that wouldn't be equality either. Equality is where the, the most qualified go forward. <laughs> equity is, is a way of arbitrarily redistributing the jobs. First they did the wealth, now they're doing the jobs. And support for underserved communities through the federal government. What's an underserved community? What, doesn't have enough money? You know, and we'll, we'll, this whole racial thing, we talk about it probably too much on the show, but uh, let me spread that for now. Let's just see what the article says. The executive order defines equity as the consistent and systematic, fair, just, and impartial treatment of all individuals. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense, <laughs> including individuals who belong to underserved communities that have been denied such treatment, such as black, Latino, and indigenous and Native American persons, Asian Americans, and Islanders, persons of color, religious minorities, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, the LGBTQ plus persons, and so on. So wait a minute. So, so who's left out? <laughs> the white people, especially the white guys. All right. So, so this, uh, let me ask you this. If, uh, if affirmative action, well, affirmative action is a racist program. So how can you have white privilege and affirmative action in the same government in the same sense? So you can't say that there's white privilege if, if everybody but whites get affirmative action. That's just a contradiction. Anyway, we can talk about those all day, too. Point is, this is interesting. I'm going to go on another story. <laughs> I'll find something else for you. But uh, that's, that's my little rant on, on the FBI. Now, I'll have more. I've got uh, um, an article on uh, – I've actually, I've got an interview that I was going to play on a, a previous day with the herbal pharmacist, uh, which is kind of interesting. I'll play that. Let me play a couple of uh, messages here, and I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. 
Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. See, that's why I think it would be so much fun to do a bill. That um, that contains all the Washington uh, you know, bureaucracies in one place. No branch offices, no nothing. Just you're there. You know, if you want to come into the states, you know, ask their permission. You know, if you want to uh, do federal law enforcement, uh, there's only three crimes anyway. You know, treason, piracy, and uh, uh, counterfeiting. And so I, I understand the secret service, and the secret service agents want to come into a state to investigate counterfeiting. That's their that is their job. That's a constitutionally delegated authority. So in that case, yeah, Secret Service could, uh, you know, go around and investigate counterfeiting. That's that's right there in the Constitution. Uh, the other one would be treason. U.S. Marshals, you know, if they uh, uh, if we're at war, a declared war, a constitutionally declared war by the Congress, you know, signed by the President, declaration of war, then traitors could be uh, arrested and, uh, by the U.S. Marshals. That's a federal responsibility. The other one, of course, is piracy. Well, piracy was the responsibility of the Navy and the Air Force, maybe even the Air Marshals program, but I think they got rid of that. But as far as, uh, you know, keeping the skies safe uh, for, for, uh, for transport and, uh, you know, and the seas, you know, piracy, yeah, that's absolutely, that's the job of the Navy and the Air Force and uh, the Coast Guard and the Air National Guards and then the National Guard in general, those kind of folks, you know, in domestic in the United States. Piracy, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so those are constitutionally authorized things. So that's federal government should be armed for that, but nothing else. Every other crime they have, you know, the entire FBI, ATF, DEA, none of that stuff is constitutional. Shouldn't exist. Anyway, uh, I digress. So I should probably spend a couple of minutes on the, the sad state of the union because <laughs> it's really bad. Trump had a two minute uh, summary of everything that's wrong and he's absolutely right. But he never said what he should have said was this administration is a fraud. It doesn't exist. It's illegal. They're not legally there. Nothing that they do illegal. Everything they're doing to destroy this country is a crime. They should be arrested and thrown in jail. That's what he should have said. You know, but then of course, the news will come out the next day. You're an election denier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I deny that we had an election. And we, had a, we had a coup. We did not have an election. So am I an election denier? Absolutely. I'm also an election truther. You know, I know what the truth is. I've seen the evidence. It's everywhere. So anybody that says that there's no evidence hasn't looked because they don't want to. Oh, please don't show me evidence of election fraud. I can't stand it. I want to believe. You know, it's like uh, they're, they're, uh, these people of the, the election cult. They're part of the Brandon cult. Because how else would you believe that somebody that stupid, that moronic, uh, that out of it, could be more popular than Donald Trump? Well, the only way you can believe it, you, you, you don't believe it. You're either in the cult, in which case you can believe anything, uh, power of suggestion and psychology and all that, or you know he's a fraud. You just don't like Trump because <laughs> you don't like freedom. 
See, you can't hate Trump and hate free, uh, and like freedom. It doesn't work that way because Trump represents freedom. Brandon represents tyranny. It's a very simple choice. Anyway, so I'm watching this, this old, adult, mentally somewhat competent, looks like he's got one of his eyes closed from, from uh, nerve damage, brain damage. He's had two aneurysms. Okay? He's had brain damage. He literally has had brain damage. Okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, you know, casting aspersions or reporting falsities or making stuff up. He literally has had brain damage. Okay, he's not 100% there. He should not be in office. He never should have uh, been allowed to run. He shouldn't have been propped up. Joe Biden's the biggest criminal. Talk about elder abuse. Joe Biden's terrible. And who's that? Who's that? Uh, oh, here's the news. Let, let's 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 really get into speculation, shall we? So I'm watching the, a friend of mine post a meme of Joe Biden kissing some guy right on the lips. And I, I didn't know who that was. So what is, and then the, the, the meme was about, you know, she went to Jared or he went to Jared and she said yes. So my question is, Jill Biden. Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, kissing some guy on national TV on the lips in front of her husband, who's, a, is a, who's trying to give the State of the Union from being a fraudulent president. That to me is interesting. So my question is, who else does Jill Biden know? <laughs> does Jill Biden, you know, have somebody on the side? <laughs> I'm just speculating. I don't know for sure. You know, maybe, maybe she may be the, the first lady, but uh, he's not the first guy or the only guy. I don't know. I mean, what do you do when you're married to somebody uh, who you're uh, using uh, to gain power? You know, it's, it's like the, you know, you want to talk about abuse. Uh, there it is. Anyway, um, I just find that fascinating. So uh, here's the other question, too. What kind of drugs was uh, Kamala Harris on? She sat, sat, sat back there bug-eyed, absolutely uh, staring, like, just out into space. It's like she wasn't there. Was she on some massive tranquilizer or something? This is very wrong. This is not, this is not us. We're in a parallel universe, okay? We're not where we're supposed to be. Uh, so Kevin McCarthy's up there shaking his head, which is funny. The best part of, of this, I didn't watch the speech. I just wanted to watch the highlights. The things I watched were much more fun. You know, all the, all the responses, those were great. Uh, especially Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was brilliant. Her speech is the one you want to watch. That's a speech. That's a heart-tugging from, you know, the heart and soul, genuine. Uh, she did a masterful job with her response. So if you haven't seen Sarah, Sarah's response, uh, then that you must watch that. It's on my Facebook page. It's all over several of our groups. You got to see that. Trump had a pretty good two minute response too, but it's too short. He should have done his own response in front of a huge, he should have done a, a, a rally at the same, in fact, that would have been even a better idea. He should have done a rally at the same time as the, uh, as the state of the union address. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, what do you think people are going to watch? We're going to watch the Trump rally, of course. And that would prove how popular Brandon is. So that's a way to handle it. Um, McCarthy, I still don't trust. I mean, he looks like he's doing the right thing, but I'm not sure. I think there's some hearings uh, on the weaponization of, uh, of D.C. under, uh, you know, under the, the current regime. Um, I can't say administration under the current tyranny. But I don't know if I can get C-SPAN on my, uh, my route. So hopefully I'll find it. Hopefully somebody will be covering it. We'll find out. There we go. Anyway, Pianchi's in line. Let me get a hold of him, and then I'll talk about some other things. So, Pianchi, should we move the entire D.C., uh, all administrative offices in D.C. and get them out of the states? What do you think? Yeah, well, you could, but uh, <clears throat> there's 10 locations around the country like uh-huh. that one that's centered around the uh, Federal Reserve, as the Constitution, I think, permits. Oh, that's interesting. Now, see, the Federal Reserve is not federal, and it's not a reserve. So they can't be on federal land because they're not a federal building. So that land could be taken so by the state. It's centered around the Federal Reserve banks. Yeah, but I'm saying it's and because if you they're not the federal. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think they took them out. If you look at the circumference of them, they down there touch each other, so they encompass in way more area than than that. So. Hmm. Okay. 
right. Did you? Did you change it up? Conversation like a monologue. It's just me until you join me, which is, which is, which is, which is cool. I'm glad you're here. The um, did you watch any part of the State of the Union? Because I didn't. I just I figured the highlights would be bad enough, and you know, I had I had to stomach that. But he looked terrible. She looked like she was on drugs. McCarthy was there shaking his head. Uh, that looked all weird. But at least the Republicans objected, yelled, screamed. You know, uh, MJT. Marjorie Taylor Greene and MTJ. That's what they're supposed to do. And you know what they're supposed to do. Yeah, she called them a liar. Yeah, oh, okay. Uh, I love when you leave the bed with indigestion, uh, (laughs) tossing and turning, kicking the pillows on the floor and everything else. Well, I knew what he was going to say. And you, we already ran over the fact that the job numbers are a complete lie, that they've changed all the indexes, that they've they've fudged the numbers so badly um, that we've actually lost – we didn't gain 12 million jobs. We've lost millions more than that simply because they locked everything down for COVID. And anybody that's back to a COVID job, uh, that's not a new job. That's the same old job. They just restarted it. It was just, it was laid off for a while. So that's, those numbers are wrong. We know he's, he lied about the border. He lied about the economy. He lied about energy. He lied about his policies. He lied about the Republicans canceling Social Security. He lied about absolutely everything. I knew he was going to lie about everything. I didn't have to watch him lie about things I knew he was going to lie about. So I played guitar. Then I watched the uh, response. Well, he let these criminals in the country, <clears throat> and you know, mm-hmm. not get off stuff. Look at Haiti. Haiti haven't had a government. They 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 kicked out the president. No elected officials. No place in the country. No mayors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gangs have killed twenty police officers in just last month, and uh, U.S. State Department is letting some of them come over here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got another article from Jihad Watch. Remember, we had Robert Spencer on a couple of weeks ago. He's the head of Jihad Watch. And uh, I've got his newsletter now. I've had it before. Apparently, these newsletters expire after a while, which is kind of funny. I don't notice until they're gone for a while. Anyway, he had an article about an Iranian terrorist that was let in at our southern border. And so that's that's in the news. Oh, yeah. So so there are known terrorists coming in. So the question is not, you know, if, but when. When there's going to be a terrorist. Well, if you want to see what defund the police looks like, just take mm-hmm. a look at that country here. That's what defund the police look like. Oh, Haiti? Yeah. yeah. Well, they've also, but they don't have, I, I don't know, do they have a constitution? Have they ever had a tradition? You know, have they ever been a free people? I mean, is it in their DNA? It isn't, at least it used to be in ours. That's why it was interesting talking to Brianna yesterday uh, about the, the young folks. The, the, has freedom been bred out of them? Have we gotten away from, uh, from those of us that, uh, you know, had parents in World War II, for example? Well, mine were a little young for it, but... Um, they're just my well, father. You know, just so much court, just told, you know? uh-huh. and I hope Brianna follow the recommendations and suggestions that you give. But she needs to study all those things. Uh-huh. You know, as early on with the wars in the United, you know, you had about seven Indian nations that uh, was allies to America during those times. Uh-huh. Seven Indian nations are fighting against others because that's what they do. They ally with the United States. Well, she needs to, I, I would say, all the way up through the Korean conflict, at least, and uh, get a better understanding. And then to throw gasoline on the fire, see where Boeing aircraft is uh-huh. laying off 2,000 and sending some of these jobs to India. And that's a bunch of bullshit. That, that's a, that's a crime. Yeah, see, yeah. No, I don't believe in that at all. You can't, American companies should not be uh, sending forward. And if they do, then there should be a tax. There should be an employment tax equivalent to the wages that they would have made in the United States. That's what we do with tariffs. Well, see, here's the thing, Greg. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Here's the thing, and this is where people don't use no critical thinking and analytical thinking. When you take federal dollars in the United States, school, school district, whatever, you have to abide by certain things that goes on with the federal government. No discrimination, no sex uh, bias and, and things like that. But why come these companies, Boeing just received about $13 billion in contracts during the Trump administration. So why come these companies are not held to spend that money in the United States? Why are you exporting jobs of that magnitude and that technological uh, situations to India? That's a good question. I mean, there should be a clause in every government contract, a federal government contract, that all money for that contract has to be spent in the United States. All workers have to be, you know, U.S. citizens working on the project. I mean, that only makes sense if it's a, if it's a government. If it's a, that means it's a U.S. taxpayer citizen government. So why are we paying Boeing to subsidize India and take jobs away from Americans? So that right. should be a crime. So let's, you know, let's, let's look at let's look at that. So we need to, this. This would be another Jonathan question. So in the U.S. government contracts. I have about 170, actually about 177 bill ideas. This will be make, from my two this morning. Make it 179 of bills you have to write. Oh, hell. Be a lot of work to do, folks. Yeah. Don't forget so too U.S. government that they mandated huh? that government contractors have the COVID shots. Yeah, see that was ridiculous. Remember? I do remember that. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, I have, a, I have my, my friend uh, uh, in Washington who's helping us out. Um, I asked if I could uh, get in contact with Alan Dershowitz. I want to talk to Dershowitz about judicial review, about the Constitution, about the constitutionality of mandates. I'd be curious. Let's see if I can get him on the show. But uh, I'm going to disagree with him on judicial you know, review. Uh-huh. I've done contracts at uh, Anheuser-Busch. <clears throat> In their specifications of the project, that's what you have to follow. Mm-hmm. They said American products only, from the nail to the screw to the tanks. They must uh-huh. be made in America. Now, why come the United States uh, Defense Department can't have those same stipulations on contractors like Boeing, like General Dynamics, like Lockheed, like Northwood uh-huh. Grumman, that you have to spend those awarded contract dollars with America, with American-produced and manufactured goods? You know, I bet you a lot of people assume that it is that way, and it's not. You know, and it, it's crazy, especially if you add in the H1N1 visa. Or maybe that's the flu. The H1 visa. There we go. I'm confusing my flu bugs. So if you have the, the H1 visa, which brings in – so Indian workers are being brought in here to undercut Americans so that wages in high-tech drop because, you know, the dollar, our dollar goes further in India than it does here because they don't have the same inflation. They don't have a $30 trillion debt. So the Indian workers are brought in. They can make less, and they take that money back to India. So now we're subsidizing India directly by having American jobs transferred to India by Boeing. And you well, know another thing, too. Where, where's when these workers come in, I uh-huh. can understand they have peculiar skills, but only they can come. No uh-huh. family member, wives, where you can have a dozen babies and all of them want to come under the 14th minute. Hell no. Just you and when your job is over or someplace along the line, we're going to replace you with Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I'll tell you what, though, if there's any skill that anybody else in the world can do, I bet we can teach an American to do it. I can't think of a single thing that an American, you know, we've got the best universities, except for the woke stuff. Uh, we've got uh, smart people. We've got industrious people. We've got hardworking people. What person, the only, well, if you, the only example I can think of is me. 
I mean, I'm the world's, I'm the world's only action radio expert. I mean, I'm it. <laughs> there is nobody else who's combined a citizen legislator, legislature with a radio show. So technically, I could work in any other country as a world expert because I'm the only one. But other than that, I can't think of a single thing, a job that an American could not either do or be taught to do. Can you? No, other than some special recipe. <laughs> yeah, like rice aroni from the Armenians. That's different. Now, if someone wants to, that's a cultural. If someone wants to come to this country with their culture and you know and set up a business, and that that would be a good that'd be a good case for immigration. So say the next the next rice aroni. Let's let's go to let's call it Cyprus stew. <laughs> All right. So in Cyprus, and I, the only reason I say Cyprus is one of our new listeners. I, I found them on the world map the other day. So we have people in, someone in, at least one person in Cyprus is listening to us. It's not a big place. It's right there in the Mediterranean, you know, sort of near the Middle East. So Cyprus, let's say, for example, that Cyprus, somebody comes up with Cyprus stew, or it's a local tradition, this fabulous stew of lamb with, uh, I don't know, seaweed and uh, starfish. <laughs> okay. So, so lamb and starfish stew. And it's really, really popular. <laughs> you know, okay. So say they've got the world's best lamb and starfish stew in Cyprus. And they want to bring that over to the United States and start a business. Great. That person I'd bring in in a second, even if they fail completely. But as far as a, a, a work visa, no. In fact, anybody on a work visa shouldn't, I don't think, those folks aren't, uh, well, see, that's the problem. Any kid born on U.S. soil, they're calling a U.S. citizen, which is not. So that's, that's mistakenly awarded citizenship. All of those have to be revoked. We've got to go back as far as we can in the computers and revoke all those mistaken citizenships. Then the question is what to do with those people. What kind of status do they have? Good question. It's going to be complex. It's going to be a big one, but we have to start somewhere. So all non, you know, all births to non-American citizens have to be corrected. And that can be done by computer. And just go back and just check the records. And you're going to be done through the tax records. Where are you, were you born to, to at least one parent who was an American citizen at the time? Or a lawful permanent resident? If not, and you mistakenly got citizenship from the hospital, they screwed up and listed you as a citizen? No. In fact, the place to go after this, I actually had a bill that says the hospitals cannot award American citizenship to anybody born to illegal aliens. That's where it really comes, because they're the ones I think are doing the listings. How, I mean, how else do you get your citizenship listed? Who, who types up birth certificates? It's the hospital, right? So if hospitals are doing this, they need to be closed down. <laughs> Sorry, you can't have your hospital. If you're, if you're mistakenly you know, putting American citizen on birth certificates to people who have non-citizen parents, especially here illegally, no. You know, you, you, we're going to close you down. We'll go find somebody who can operate Wait, it. You had to, what? You had the Chinese Birkin hotels there in San Francisco. Oh, I know all about them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, birth tourism? Yeah. No, all those folks have to be revoked especially. Now, those, those people and all the, and all the citizens down the, all the, the people they've given birth to, they're not citizens either because they, they weren't citizens at the time. That you, cannot, you, know, you cannot pass on fraudulent citizenship fraudulently. So there's a lot of computer, but we got a computer race. Well, see, here's what I really want to do is an illegal alien census. So under Trump, we need to do a full census counting all the illegal aliens in this country, where they are, where they live, where they, where they work, you know, how, what kind of benefits they're getting, how they're getting their fraudulent IDs, which states are awarding stuff they shouldn't be awarding. We need a massive, and probably take a couple of years to do it, an illegal alien census. Now, of course, the result of that census is massive civil asset forfeiture. So anybody found to be an illegal alien you know, during the census, of course, is going to have all this stuff confiscated. So leave now. <laughs> they should give for, of course, the left will scream apoplectic and they'll go to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court will say you can't do that. And we say you have no authority here. You cannot say that we can't do this. Nobody has a right to be in this country illegally. 
Well, they should deputize U.S. citizens also to report them. If Joe Biden can reportedly deputize teachers under Title IX mm-hmm. to uh, go along with a child, a student's idea of what sex they are, even going against the parents, well, citizens should be deputized to identify these illegals that's in the country and testify until they get them out. Well, we had a bill. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, teachers are, are duty bound. I think they're, they're. I think that's part of their job. If they don't, uh, they have to report child abuse. If they see bruises on a kid, or a kid malnourished, or, or a kid with obvious emotional problems, they have to report that. So that's our yeah, reason. including your child along with your, uh, you're breaking illegally breaking the law. Uh, yep. yeah, I don't know you break the law illegally, but you breaking the law. <laughs> I know what you yes, mean. Yes, they should be reported. Well, here's the thing, though. There's a Supreme Court decision, and I've talked about this before, that the Congress should overturn. See, Congress doesn't think they can overturn Supreme Court opinions, but they can. They just, you just pass a law saying this decision is, is, has been overruled, and it's null and void, and unenforceable. And the if, one you is have, hmm? if you want to have police reform, then let police be able to question suspected illegal and have them to produce the documentation showing that they're legally in the country. Right now, all they can do is call ICE and leave it alone. But no, yeah. that's good police reform, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Well, and as we talked about before, that your citizenship is public information. So if you're a citizen of a foreign country, you better have a passport. You better have uh, you better have a visa to be in the country. You better have a uh, you know, and it better be within the uh, the valid period, not be not past the expiration date. So all police should be checking citizenship of everybody they stop. This is why we need citizenship on the driver's license, where states actually verify it. And if the states aren't verifying it, then they lose their federal funds. So there's a big chain of things that need to be done, and this is all logical. But see, the problem is these people in government, they want the illegal aliens. If the Republicans really didn't want this to go on, they wouldn't. They could find – every state could stop this with civil asset forfeiture. That's why civil asset forfeiture is so powerful. And yet even our own people in Santa Rosa County here, Florida, won't take it up. They won't talk about it. They, the, our supervisors will not consider it. They've never talked about it. I've talked about it in public hearings. I've sent them all the information. I've sent it to all the Republican groups around here. Nobody wants to take up civil asset forfeiture as a way to deal with illegal aliens. They're, they're much happier complaining about it. Remember we had uh, Coy Griffin, or Coy Griffin, yes, uh, Cowboys for Trump? We talked about that, mm-hmm. that there's a big part of the Republican Party and a big part of the talk show and media market that are happier talking about a problem generating advertising revenue than they are in solving the problem. And that is not the situation here. That's why you write the bill to be right. Police departments, uh-huh. let's reform the police departments. Whereas when the federal government, um, uh, alcohol, firearm, tobacco, ask them questions or ask them to participate in things that they know is unconstitutional, then they need uh-huh. to get the identification of those memos and where mm-hmm. are they coming from, and report them. Yep. But we need to have citizenship checks. I mean, local law enforcement needs to have access to uh, uh, passport uh, and other records and things like that so they can verify citizenship when they pull somebody over. I mean, we've, we've got the computers to analyze you to do that. And again, citizenship is public information, folks. It's public. When you come into this country as an American, you have to declare you're an American. Or wherever you're coming from, you declare your citizenship. It is public information, publicly declared at the point of entry. If you are leaving this country, you have to publicly declare your citizenship to a government official, usually Customs and Border Protection. 
You publicly declare who and you are, and you're leaving. Else. What's that? And something else, too, like they own DeSantis. Blacks mm-hmm. own DeSantis because he's supposed to be getting rid of AP classes, advanced placement classes in African-American studies. Well, hmm. what should be a mandatory AP class is the U history of the United States. Yeah. What should be in a mandatory AP class before you can graduate is that you know and have studied and be able to quiz on the founding documents of this nation. Yeah. But you know what the the thing but you know that's all that's all a plot against DeSantis because what he's doing is getting rid of race racist classes. That's what he's getting rid of. We'll talk about more about that. I got a, I got a story for you. It's, it's eight o'clock, and we're gonna talk for a few you minutes. Know, real quick, you. you okay. have these housing projects coming to your area. You uh-huh. might as well kiss it goodbye. What housing? What's coming to your area? I missed what you said, or I misheard you. Entitle your show on flooding our area with housing projects. Oh yeah, well we're gonna talk about that in the third hour. Yeah, that's Chris Kerb. Uh, Chris, I've been trying to get on the show. Right I'm now. talking about big city, big city housing projects. You let those come uh-huh. into your area. Goodbye. Well, you, exactly. And I don't think when we're talking, that's kind of a play on words because Chris is an expert on flooding. So what we, our problem here in Santa Rosa County uh, and other counties have different problems. But, so this will serve for all counties. But we have a problem with flooding because these housing developments are coming in. Uh, they're stripping all the trees out, which absorb the water and put it back into the air. That's how we get clouds. You know, so they're stripping all the trees out, they're stripping all the vegetation out, and so the land erodes, but they're also raising the elevation uh, of these housing projects uh, after they've strip cut the areas. Uh, and because they're raising it up, the runoff from these housing projects goes into everybody else's property. And so most of, uh, most of uh, Santa Rosa County, Florida, uh, has storm drains and has a very good system of drainage. But these new housing projects don't have that. And so that's why I say they're flooding. So when I say a housing project, I don't mean like a, a government you know, multi-stacked high-rise building. I'm talking about uh, an area that's owned by, what's the big field? D.H. Horton, Adams Home, some of these bigger places that come in. These are, these are interstate national big companies that come in and build houses here, pay off our, our, uh, uh, our county commissioners, and they're, they're, ruining the, they're ruining the county. You know, there's too many people, too many houses, too much. Uh, there's not enough infrastructure, not enough roads. And the people are complaining, well, there's too many people on the roads. We don't have the schools. Well, of course, because you let too many people in because we don't have a growth management plan. I actually wrote one and gave it to the city council. But, um, you know, <laughs> you know how things go. Let me let me totally change the subject here for a bit. And uh, then I'm going to play. Uh, well, uh, maybe we'll just talk. You know, if you, we'll see how it goes. If we, if we talk past you know, 15 minutes, then I'll just keep chatting until we get uh, Diane here in the next hour. Uh, but in the meantime, I found something interesting. Have you heard about Roger Stone's new book? Nixon thought LBJ killed Kennedy as we wade into conspiracy stuff here for a bit. Have you heard about this? No, no, I've, I've heard so much about this. I just live. I say it's, it let it run its course. Okay, let me do a couple of bits on it, and then uh, then we'll see. Uh, then, like I said, I might play my interview. We'll see. I mean, I'm I don't know, I'm improvising here anyway. Patrick Howley, political reporter for Daily uh, Caller, says Richard Nixon thought Lyndon Johnson killed John F. Kennedy, according to legendary political operative Roger Stone. By the way, he had a great response last night. He had a bunch of people on responding to Brandon's illegal speech on the Union. Uh, that was good. Uh, Trump's two-minute report was good, but it was too short. The best speech last night was Sarah Sanders. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, the new governor of Arkansas, was brilliant. Her, her speech, 
uh, was, was far better than anything else I saw last night. Anyway, so back to Roger Stone, who had his own little thing last night. He says, Richard Nixon told me in 1982 that he immediately knew who Jack Ruby was when he saw him shoot Oswald. Stone told Daily Caller in an extensive interview. Stone's new book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ, is currently tearing up the Amazon bestseller list and even earned praise from Ron Paul. That's interesting. Among other revelations, Stone told the DC, that's the Daily Caller, that Nixon hired Jack Ruby as a House Committee informant at Johnson's request years prior to the Kennedy assassination, which occurred 50 years ago today, and the date of that was November 22nd. Of uh, there, This is actually... Uh, Oh, wait a minute, this is, oh, is this an old article? 2013? No, it can't be that old. Is it that old? Boy, I really screwed up then if I didn't read the date on this article. I thought this was new. <laughs> My mistake. Okay, screw this article. If it's that old, wow, that's like uh, 10 years ago. Huh. Let me refresh the screen and see if it has an updated version of this. Boy, how did I goof on that? So you wrote this book 10 years ago? See, the reason I'm confused now is because I heard that uh, Stone was talking about this, talking about LGB, uh, LBJ, LGB, <laughs> LBJ you know, thinking that Nixon did this because a bunch of news has been out about it. Huh. All right. Well, forget that article then. Let me go to something else that I find interesting in the news here. Uh, still in the LB area. Um, one of the, the, the places I used to write for, the Intellectual Conservative, had an article, which I haven't even read yet. I'm just going to go for it and see how it goes. It says, why are taxpayer-funded tourism agencies in red states promoting radical LGBTQ plus and progressive causes? And this is by a friend of mine, Rachel Alexander, uh, an intellectual conservative, who says, right in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis' own state, government tourism agencies are promoting radical LGBTQ causes, including taxpayer-funded visits, taxpayer-funded Visit Florida. There we go. So that's an organization. There's Visit Florida. There's something else, Florida. Anyway, Visit Orlando paid a PR company MMGY for a, quote, study that rebuked DeSantis's policy and the laws of Florida. New York-based MMGY, I wonder what that is, is one of the largest PR companies for tourism offices in the country and also one of the most woke. MGY Global thanks Visit Orlando and others, including Destination D.C., Greater Boston Convention and Visitors Bureau for financial contributions to the study. The study asked LGBTQ plus individuals whether state policies related to their LGBTQ plus identity greatly impacted their decision to travel. Have you heard about, uh, you know, the, the, we used to call it, you know, gay tourism or gay tourists. When a tour guide in San Francisco, San Francisco being a city with a large gay population, it was well known that this was a great city uh, for gay tourism for obvious reasons. Um, and so uh, it's a huge, it's almost like an industry unto itself, like singles travel. So there's all these different eco travel, historic travel, gay travel, um, different, uh, different uh, modes of travel. But, that, but it's a big industry because you're talking about people without kids, usually, to disposable income. Um, and, uh, and so San Francisco is like a headquarters for there's a lot of gay tourism. There's, there's specifically catering to gay travel, especially some of the older Victorian uh, inns and things like that. It's a whole industry. I didn't even know about it until I became a tour guide. You heard a bunch about this, Pianchi? No, I haven't. Okay. Then I'll keep going. Our article says it found that 52% said yes, and that's the question of LGBTQ policies, because I know they shut down Atlanta because they uh, of some woke, stupid nonsense. Anyway, as it's stirring up these types of views, there's nothing about tourism in red states like Florida. It generates hostility and will just backfire on effort to promote them there. Yeah, you got to promote tourism equally, folks. And this is my state. This is why I'm concerned. Visit Florida's agenda in March has just one item listed on it. LGBTQIA+. Hmm, that's interesting. We're, we're, we keep adding left. 
Florida events, pride festivals, bars, and destinations. There is no semblance of balance, no conservative or Christian events. Those types of activities have been scrubbed clean from tourism agencies. Isn't that interesting? One of the partnerships prominently featured on MGY's website is the Love and Lip Liner event at James New York Hotel featuring some of New York City's biggest drag stars. Oh, boy. Visit Florida. Sent. $862,720.58 on three PR agencies between June 2021 and July 2022. Development Counselors International, Gosh PR, and Hayworth Public Relations. According to the website of Development Counselors International, DCI, one of its most important values is wokeism, that is to champion equity and inclusion. Among its priorities are to be inclusive and to elevate diverse voices. Yeah, right. So what we've got here is the government is discouraging um, and encouraging uh, lesbian, bisexual, gay travel. Well, that's not the government's business. Why are they even doing this? And, oh, you know, where's DeSantis? Hey, DeSantis, how can we letting the government spend money on this kind of crap? That's my question for now. And another news item. Jackie's <laughs> like, he's probably shaking his head there. Uh, the next news item I have, we sort of do news for a bit. So, so about 8.15, I'll start, uh, I'll start my, my interview, uh, my WEBY classic interview. So the last one I had for, for now, and I got pages of this stuff here. Uh, I'm talking, this is from The Defender. This is a, a site that's usually banned on social media. It's from the Children's Health Defense, which is Robert Francis Kennedy Jr.'s organization. I am a uh, party to a lawsuit against big tech. I'm just trying to... Uh, um, in touch with them and find out exactly what's going on with my with that lawsuit and my stats in it, because I want uh, I want to be paid for all this uh, uh, suppression and censorship that uh, they've done in my show. But I put three years of work into being completely, and I've been completely censored the whole time. So it should be monstrous by now, considering we're the only one that does what we do. Last article: Would a climate emergency open the same door to authoritarian governance as the COVID emergency? Well, since what they did with COVID was illegal, I would say they're going to do it anyway. Uh, since there are better ways to address climate change than insisting the uh, federal lawmakers declare a, quote, climate emergency, including building a left-right coalition that can work together to build resilience to the environmental challenges of the 21st century while preserving democracy, civil liberties, and human rights. That's a bunch of nonsense, but I thought I'd read it anyway. This is by W. Aaron Vandiver, V-A-N-D-I-E-R, who says in February 2022, 1,140 organizations sent, I can't say this, I'll say resident Biden a letter urging him to declare a climate emergency. The group of U.S. senators did the same, oh, a group of U.S. senators did the same in October 2022, and a House bill introduced in 2021. Of course, that was when the Democrats illegally controlled Congress because they actually lost in 2018 and 22, but that's the story. Also called upon resident Biden to declare a national climate emergency under the National Emergencies Act. Needless to say, we have to look at the national. What is that? What is the national? Pianca, do you know what the National Emergencies Act is? We may have to repeal that. Well, that's that. Uh, that's that noise that come over. That's that, that song, tone that comes over the the uh, radio station. With something going on. <laughs> Wish I had that on tape. Can you do that again? <laughs> Sorry, but that's the uh, that's the emergency broadcast system. That's not the National Emergencies Act, or is that part of it? It's part of it. I would say okay. it's part of it. You know, right. if you you gonna pick which one it would come under, it would more or less come under them. But uh, so okay. if we ever have a tsunami like we're gonna have, 
Well, mm-hmm. then uh, that's where that information will come out at. Hurricanes, mm-hmm. tornadoes. Yeah, no, the, the emergency broadcast system is great. They do a, a valuable job. Amber alerts, I think, are wonderful so we can catch these perpetrators. Uh, I don't have a problem with that, but with my problem is a national emergency where they can basically think they can supersede the Constitution. That's what they do with it. They take everybody's rights away, they supersede the Constitution, and they think it's okay because it's an emergency. Yet, as you and I have talked about, there is no emergency clause in the Constitution. There is no suspension clause. There is no revocation. In your famous line, there is no on and off switch to the Constitution. And as I say, the time you need the Constitution the most is when they try to restrict it and take it away, including an emergency. You know, even a war, a declared war, does not cancel the Constitution or limit any rights. It just doesn't. You know, you, you can take any emergency, any war, any pandemic, any anything, and still handle it while preserving all constitutional rights. You know, because well, we still absolutely. have due process. Yeah. That's, that's why I say that constitutional studies found in documents of the country should be mandatory mm-hmm. in your school system. AP yeah. classes should be further studying of the above. That's mm-hmm. what an AP class should be. Now, it can be other things, too, but if you want to make your AP class based on uh, like what's in the news day, uh, African mm-hmm. studies, then mm-hmm. you should have AP classes on constitutional studies, AP classes on American wars, AP classes on things that has the, the uh, do with why we're here today. Yeah, this should be in Congress too. Remember when Amber was on our constitutional reporter talked about a um, a, um, a bill that everybody in Congress needs to pass a you know, constitution test. And I agree. Let me just do a little bit of this here. Then I want to start an interview with uh, change subjects so we don't uh, bore people to death. So we've got here in February 2020, I already said that. All right. Biden has considered declaring such an emergency, but so far has declined, which is interesting. The United Nations has urged all countries to declare a climate emergency. The state of Hawaii and 170 local U.S. jurisdictions have declared some version of one. California, I remember Sonoma County, just north of us in uh, San Francisco County, they had a, a climate protection plan and they declared a climate emergency. Bunch of nonsense. Same old stuff. No single family homes, no single cars, you know, everybody in public transportation, everybody in the planned community, uh, no, no use of uh, organic fuels. I mean, the, the, the same old stuff, the same argument. Anyway, since the state of Hawaii, oh yeah, I already read that. 38 countries, including European Union members and the UK and and local jurisdictions around the world, together encompassing about 13% of the world's population. Hillary Clinton was reportedly prepared to declare a climate emergency if she won in 2016. Good thing we skipped that. A climate emergency is in the zeitgeist. Those words were surely uttered by the billionaires, technocrats, and corporate CEOs attending the recent World Economic Forum meeting in Davos. But what does it actually mean for the president of the U.S. to officially declare a climate emergency? Then it gets interesting. Maybe I'll skip that interview. We'll do it another time. Most people, he says, don't realize that under U.S. law, a national emergency declaration triggers a set of emergency powers that allows a president to act without the need for further legislation. See, this is the part we have to investigate. The Brennan Center for Justice, which is one of the leftist wackos homes, compiled a list of 123 statutory powers that may become available to the president upon declaration of a national emergency, national emergency, plus 13 that become available when Congress declares a national emergency. Hmm. The scope of these powers is difficult to summarize, except to say that if exercised to their maximum extent, they potentially encompass vast areas of American life. Well, that's probably what happened under the COVID thing. When was this written? Uh, pretty recently. Okay, so yeah, uh, yesterday. <laughs> um, so yeah, 
Yeah. Anyway, it says even environmentalists who may instinctively and understandably support the idea should be worried about the potential for authoritarian model of emergency governance that arose during the COVID-19 pandemic to overtake climate policy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I wanna, I wanna do some research on this. Um, yeah, I'm gonna bring this up tomorrow. This might be a good topic for tomorrow. Uh, I wanna play an interview because I wanna uh, give folks a chance to hear well, somebody else talk for a while. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, declaration of emergency. So let, let me let me study that article a little the bit. The declaration this, this, that that act is is a sound unconstitutional because yep. seemingly they are trying to turn the constitution off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, say what and I those things me... have to be challenged, by the way. Yeah, they do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it tonight uh, and after the show. I'll take a look at it. I'll, I'll get the National Emergencies Act. I'll read this article, talk about these contingencies. I'll be better prepared for it tomorrow. So let me play just for the fun of it. This is an interview. This is one of my classic ones. And I like to get these on podcasts because otherwise people would never hear them or never have access to them. So I, I, I was, um, I've been in radio for about two months at this point. This is from... Uh, where, where is it here? Uh, herbal pharmacist. Here we go. So this is from May 30th of 2017. So I'm at WBY. Uh, I started March 1st. So this is two months, actually about three months later. Uh, and I'm doing all these incredible interviews. And so the herbal pharmacist, this is a good one. It's about 43 minutes. So this will take us right up to the top of the hour. Interesting guy. Um, so any, again, any references to WBY or to a phone number other than 215-383-3832 or anything else that uh, gets on here, is from a previous radio station that has now been bought, changed. It's now a sport, internet, something or other. But uh, I think you'll find this interesting. Uh, this is kind of one of our, our favorite wellness uh, uh, topics. Cool guy, great interview, and I'll see you all at the top of the hour. Be back then. Oh, yeah. Here we go. 8.06 in the morning. Time for Action Radio. 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's Talk Radio. Greg Penglis here. Uh, and I have a guest, so let's get to introduce him right now. He is a pharmacist, author, and media personality known to consumers nationwide as the Herbal Pharmacist. He is a graduate of the University of South Carolina College of Pharmacy. He currently serves on Organic and Natural Health Association's Scientific Advisory Board and is the author of Four Pillars of Health, Heart Disease. Please welcome our guest, David Foreman. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, my. Uh, by, the way, by the way, I'm totally digging the music. That was good. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I'm on, you know, either entering a game show, you know, the intro, um, or oh, what's, I'm trying to think of the... Um, no, there was a show. Mike, du- Mike Douglas show. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, I was a kid I, in the 60s. I, I I was, no, I love it. I, that's like... That's in my wheelhouse. So well, there you I go. Did it. Perfect. It gets me. It gets me going on on really the first day of the week because you know the holiday yesterday. So well, the, thank you. I appreciate that. The holiday yesterday was fascinating. I read poetry uh, from uh, soldiers in battle from the Re- Revolutionary War all the way up through Afghanistan. It's a fascinating. Um, fascinating oh my goodness! Where oh yeah. Did you, where did you come up with that? That's. That's a cool idea. I thought so, too. <laughs> That's why I did it. But, yeah, it was a full weekend's worth of research to, to uh, put it all together. But, uh, oh, and I went through tons of poetry. It's amazing, the expression. But I wanted to talk about the soldiers in their own words, uh, in battle. And so I had some fascinating things. Uh, I'll, that'll be podcast. I'll let, you, uh, I'll let you know when that's going on. Oh, we, that'd be, no, that'd be, I'd love that. I'm sorry, not to get off topic. No, it's okay. But, uh, I know we've got that. about an hour, so we're cool. You know, I just, I, I, I love... 
Yeah. I, I love when people have unique ways of uh, of uh, celebrating or remembering, I guess, in, their, in, in this case. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a remembrance, yeah. yeah. And you exactly. can come back. This doesn't have to be your only appearance. You know, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, give me a few more minutes. You might change your mind. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, I've got a ton of questions. I want to go over what uh, uh, pharmacist is, the difference between uh, traditional and herbal, and then the second part of uh, our interview, I want to get into the whole sugar-fat controversy and start with the basics of what sugars and fats are, and then I want to get into your stuff, your book, okay. uh, Brain Drain uh, stuff, and uh, things on the cool. ABC. CD stuff. So that's, that's what I got planned out for this hour. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Let's see how much we can do. So RPH, what does that mean? Uh, registered pharmacist. So okay. my, my background, as you mentioned in the intro, I, I went to pharmacy school back in the 80s. Uh, I graduated in 1987. Okay. Um, and actually, um, you know, so I'm a pharmacist. Okay. I actually owned a, uh, a pharmacy in uh, the Richmond area of Virginia okay. for about nine years. Uh, did real well, and then uh, towards the end of owning my pharmacy, I started getting interested in. Uh, back in the beginning, it was just herbal, you know, herbs and herbal medicine, uh, and that's where the whole name herbal pharmacist came up. I, I trademarked it, a program, and uh, it, you know, as a health expert, but helping people again back in the beginning just on herbs hmm. and, and their health benefits. And, and the host of the show is, you know, it's kind of fascinating what you do. You know, you're a pharmacist, but you're into this. He's like, what do you know? So, what do we call you? And I just blurted out herbal pharmacist. And then on my way home, I was like, you know, that's pretty cool. So it is pretty cool. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I ended up trademarking it. But in all honesty, my my life back in those days was really just on herbs. And I was teaching a class, a couple of classes at a community college on it. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, I, I now really probably should be called more of the you know the natural pharmacist. Uh, uh, I teach people about healthy lifestyle, so it's not just herbs now. It's it's all the things that encompass natural medicine, okay. um, and then even going into you know diet and exercise and. Oh yeah, we'll know, we'll get into all that. Have yeah, you, no, no worries. But that that's so that's where that all came about. Yeah, yeah. Have you studied Chinese medicine at all? Very a little. I, and as I always tell people, there's there's two very ancient forms of of natural medicine, uh, Chinese medicine, which uh, or traditional Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's another one that's more from uh, India called Ayurveda. Oh. And as I love to say, I know enough about both of those to be very dangerous. <laughs> um, because uh, TCM is um, it's so unique. TCM? In its, What's that? Yeah, it's traditional Chinese medicine okay. is so unique. And same thing with Ayurveda, which, again, originated over, you know, like in India. Mm-hmm. They're very unique because not only do they, you know, they have uh, solutions that are, you know, involve, uh, you know, natural ingredients, um, but their their ability or the way they diagnose or figure out what's wrong with somebody is so different than anything we we really do in in what we consider not um, modern medicine these days. So, um, no, I mean, I know enough about both of those. Like I said. Yeah, you know, I, I can figure my stuff out, but uh, okay. I would never call myself an expert in either one of those areas. Yeah, the reason I ask is because uh, I used to live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and in Chinatown, uh, there was a lot of, of uh, Chinese, obviously Chinese medicine practitioners. You know, Chinese medicine goes back seven thousand years, and it's all right. herbal. It's all herbal based, yep. and so I went to. I used to have a. Um, 
uh, somebody I knew, this gentleman, was a, a Chinese herbal pharmacist. And so, <laughs> no, seriously. And what happened was, in fact, you should, I'll, I'll, I'll get you to see if I can find the address. I'll get you to it off the air because you might find this a, a great contact. But uh, he had drawers and, and uh, cabinets and all kinds of things filled with things I had no idea what they were. But it was all Chinese medicine, and the Chinese doctors would actually prescribe um, medicine from his herbal collection. And yeah, so, it's, it, it yeah. is so. It is so. Uh, it, it is such a fascinating area of medicine, and, and for me, probably the biggest fascination is that it is seven thousand years old. Yeah, and you know, I'm sorry if it's still being used. It must work. <laughs> you know, I well, mean, it's on Chinese, so you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. especially well we, where you were living, I, you know, the Bay Area, yeah. and then going even further north up into. Uh, into Seattle, like that, the whole west, northwest coast is mm-hmm. uh, a, has a very strong Asian influence, and yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm always fascinated with uh, some of the concoctions, uh, teas that people, yes, you know, would use, and and mm-hmm. and just how quickly they worked, and you know, this comes from a guy that came from original, you know, the traditional pharmacy background, where you know, you you took one entity or one ingredient. And hopefully it mitigated whatever was wrong with you. Whereas in Chinese medicine, it's a blend of many things that yeah. work synergistically to basically change the person. And 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 to me, doing something natural in that way um, is giving the body the tools it needs to fix slash repair itself, as opposed to just mask what's going wrong with it. Like this, in in those areas, you're literally getting to the root of why you have what you have. And getting rid of it. Yeah, and that's, this is why that we talked about. Uh, I had another doctor, um, Kevin Red, uh, Ken Redcross on. Yeah, yeah Ken, Ken's a good friend of mine. I oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's, a, he's an awesome guy, super yeah. knowledgeable. Yep. We talked about the whole opiate problem and how people become dependent on painkillers and how that, you know, that changes your brain, changes all kinds of things too, and how you know, the further you are you removed from, from natural remedies. You know, this is why I wanted to have you on to kind of continue on that path to get us towards a more, a more natural way to, uh, to handle these things. But, yeah, it's a huge problem. Of, of drugs and stuff. So, as a pharmacist compared to a doctor, you know, how did they train you? What uh, what kind of drug psychology did you get? And how do you differ? We'll get in how you differ from a doctor. But what, what does it take to become a Western pharmacist? Uh, so, the Western pharmacist, you know, it's you. Back when I went to college, you were bombarded with. Uh, actually, it's kind of interesting. You, uh, the things I was bombarded with, I used on a daily basis, even in in my new world of of the natural medicine. But okay. you know, tradi- traditional pharmacy background, you get you know a ton of chemistry. Um, the most important would be biochemistry because it's the, it's how the body. That's all the little inter in, intricacies of how the body chemically works. Okay. You get a lot of physiology, so you get uh, so biochemistry, physiology are the two big things, and then within that, then uh, taking those two pieces of information, and then uh, when you learn what the quote mechanism of action is of a medication, okay. uh, you, you we can then deduct you know, what it's going to do in the body and, and not just what it's going to do to help the body with lower the blood pressure or, you know, uh, whatever the, the health, you know, lower your blood sugar, lower your cholesterol. But in the drug world, um, there's a lot of other things that go along with it. And that's how we can often determine what maybe the side effects are going to be because yeah. of, of that mechanism. And in natural medicine, I still use those exact same, that same background of biochem, and physiology, okay. but I, but it's so different in the natural world because we're not talking about drugs. We're talking about um, nutritional entities that 
support the body's functionality as opposed to stimulate or force something to happen. And, 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 uh, but I still use both in, um, okay. of well, those in, in both worlds, actually. What's a nutritional entity? Uh, so uh, vitamin, mineral, uh, you know, a, a good fat, protein, carbohydrate. Okay. Um, so anything that – so nutritional entity me, to me is anything that um, is a nutrient that the body – uh, would need as opposed to uh, a chemical, which is not a nutrient to me. Those are things that would perhaps cause, you know, a negative effect down the road. So anything that's going to help feed or nourish the body is, is what I would okay. describe that as. So last question for this part is, is how did you make the transition um, from a, um, a, a Western pharmacist, you know, dealing with, with, with drugs to, to an herbal pharmacist, and, and don't all drugs ultimately come from herbs and, and, and plants and things anyway? Well, about 30% of the drugs on the market today originated in, or the idea came from a, a plant, so, okay. um, so about 30%. Uh, the transition, actually, for me, um, was not as challenging as people think uh, um, because of, again, that background I had in biochem and physiology in understanding how the body really works. Um, I just needed to learn the entities in the natural world and what what they did, and then it was then for me it was actually very simple okay. uh, to make that transition. And I think that's why I do what I do now for a living, which is to help people. You know, your next door neighbor, you know, anybody that's listening to your program today, mm-hmm. understand, um, you know, what we can use to help with whatever particular health challenge. And explain that in, in layperson's terms. So okay. transition was pretty easy. I got I was chastised like crazy by my colleagues in pharmacy. They were mm-hmm. back then, and, and probably even now, they're still uh, the worst in, in that they don't necessarily agree with and, and believe in natural medicine. Um, but I feel like that's but more out of the there's this huge um, alternative medicine world, you know, out there of, of nutrition and, and uh, acupuncture and all these yep. things, especially where I was in, in the Bay Area, you know, and there's, just, and there's chiropractors and all kinds of things. You know, traditional medicine, you know, can only answer so much. And so exactly. I'm really, this is why I'm so interested in what you're doing. We're going to get into more of it. We've got a call from uh, Gino. Gino, I need you to hang on for a little bit. We'll get to you right after a break, which I have to take here. It's 818. I'm on with uh, David Foreman, the herbal pharmacist, and then we're going to get into what exactly is sugar and fat in this whole controversy and how this affects your body. So hang on, Gino. We'll be right back in just a bit. 818, and this is 1330 WEBY. This is the perfect song for this show. Hey, Doc, you've done yourself. Why do I say that? That's why. Today we have a nutrition herbal doc on the air. Adolf's playing I Want Candy. That was classic. As soon as, it heard, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, someone knows what they're doing on the board, man. Oh, you know, I, I, I keep saying Adolf is the world's greatest producer, and that's why. But you, you I'm just... telling you what. I swear. When I, I had a syndicated talk show for uh-huh. like 15 years. Right. I even did the satellite gig uh, two hours a day, five days a week, and I'll tell you what, nothing better than a good producer because I, I used to tell, I had this kid that worked for me back in the beginning, uh-huh. and he was great at picking the songs that went with what my segments were on. I'm like, and that's something, you, 
I don't think he necessarily learned. It's like who you are. No, he, he just knows. He, he's yeah, a it's musical, crazy. That was awesome. Yeah, aficionado. Well, you missed uh, the Archies doing uh, Sugar, Honey, Honey right before he came on. Let's get, <laughs> let's get to Gina before we get uh, too sidetracked here. Hey, Gina, you're on the air. Hey, I know there's uh, many reasons for high blood pressure, and in my case, I'm not overweight. I don't have blockages in my arteries, carotid arteries, heart, or anything like that. Is there an herbal thing I can take to help? I mean, I take, you know, medicine for high blood pressure. I was wondering if there's a herbal thing I can take. That's a great question. Uh, well, actually, there are numerous things in the in the herbal herbal lands that work for blood pressure. Um, the key, though, is to find out why you have what you have. I mean, that's like one of my favorite little things in in medicine. And I pet peeve with with modern medicine is oftentimes we don't dig to the root of why you have what you have and you know you just said a couple of things that you know normally people think of as to why they have high blood pressure but like when I was in my 30s I had extremely high blood pressure I worked out regularly I ate right wasn't overweight like kind of like you right Um, but my blood pressure was high because I had like ridiculous amounts of stress so you know so really to get rid of it is thing you need to do is and if there's practitioners in your area you, you can um, you know you could go to them and help figure out why you have it um, like for me I just had to learn how to manage my stress better and when I did then I didn't require anything prescriptive or even you know herbal to help manage my blood pressure um, second thing is before I, I'm gonna tell you some things don't worry I promise um, well I do have I do have an enlarged heart okay so so that that could contribute to it. Um, granted, you quote, don't have any blockages, but you could have. Um, usually, people in their you know 30s, 40s start to get a little re- start to get a little rigid, a little rigidity in their veins uh, and arteries. And when they get more rigid, um, then that top number, you know, the 120 goes to 140 or 145. Usually, the bottom number will stay relatively normal. Um, and that's just one of those things from uh, as we age, and there's things that contribute to it. Did you ever smoke? Did you know what, what kind of diet do you have? Um, so again, it just kind of depends on on why people have what they have. Um, now, as for uh, mixing natural medicine with prescription medicine, when it comes to blood pressure, um, the natural medicine approaches. Uh, my two favorite are uh, using garlic. Um, and the, the number one, for sure, my number one favorite is an herb called hawthorn, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N, hawthorn. Um, hawthorn helps relax and dilate the veins. But here's the thing. Um, because you're taking a medication, uh, and I still and I encourage people to continue to take their medication and work with their health care provider while they do this, um, because the natural medicines don't work immediately. It's not like uh, the blood pressure pill where you took it this morning and hopefully by this evening it's already kicked in and started working. And natural medicine, it could take days, weeks to months before that effect happens. So um, you need to work closely with your healthcare provider monitoring your blood pressure. And eventually, in, in a lot of cases, it'll start coming down. But if there's something underlying there, like say you love to eat salty foods, well, if you don't change that or um, you know, or maybe you do have a lot of stress and you're not really doing anything to manage the stress. It doesn't really matter what I give you in natural medicine. Um, it's not going to end up getting rid of that situation until, um, and, uh, get rid of your high blood pressure until we actually deal with the underlying root cause of why you have that. So 
and uh, again, hawthorn and garlic would be the answer to what would I normally recommend. In your case, I'd probably use both, but there's always a chance of an interaction. People that take ACE inhibitors for blowing or blood pressure, it would interact with an ACE inhibitor immediately, so I wouldn't even recommend that. Um, so I wouldn't just go out and take what I mentioned. This is one of those things you need to get in touch with the healthcare provider that prescribed your medication and review it with them, and then you're going to want to monitor your blood pressure at home at least four times a day because uh, the last thing you want you do, the last thing you want to have happen is um, your blood pressure drop too low and then you can pass out and never encourage people to stop their medications because we know that high blood pressure is the silent killer. So you don't want to just stop your medicine and just start natural. That is foolish in my mind. Hmm. Gina makes a couple of interesting uh, points, and you do too. Probably the most important is uh, you, you, if you're starting to combine natural remedies, and some of these herbs are powerful, you know, and you're already under a doctor's care with, with different drugs that are being prescribed for you, there's all kinds of, of, of effects that you can have you know, that you're not anticipating because most drugs, they list the other drugs you can't take with that particular drug, but they don't list the natural medicines you can't take or the natural right. herbs you can't take with that particular drug. How has that been uh, conflicting that you see? Uh, well, it, it, I, it can happen at any time. Uh, generally speaking, you know, m- most natural remedies are, are uh, very weak in comparison to the, you know, the, the medicines we have either, either over-the-counter or prescribed hmm. um, and usually work more in a nutritional way. Um, but having said that, there's always still that chance of interaction. So any t- time you're on a medication, especially one that the doctors told you or healthcare providers told you to take, right. and you want to go natural, uh, it, it's up that. You know, when my daughter says, hey, Dad, I want to take such and such, even though she's not on medication, I still want to review it with her. Um, and, and I think too often we think because things are natural that everything's safe, and that's not true. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, there is no – and I hate to sound like I'm dancing around on this one, Greg, but – the reality is, is like there's no one carte blanche answer um, that, because there's so many things that are that are safe and so many things that may not be safe. It's just everybody's different in their yeah. situation. And that's the point. The, the, the Gino made something. I don't even think he realized what he, you know. These revealed something, but it's sort of like our Western psychology when he when he asked. I'm not picking on Gino, but uh, you know, what herb takes care of this or what drugs takes takes care of this? We have this sort of instant. Um, philosophy where, you know, you take the magic pill and you'll instantly be cured, and life is more complicated than that. It, it is, and you know, it, I, it's so far beyond, you know, that. And, and I, again, I'm going to go back to, I, I like to beat the drum, but too yeah. often times in modern medicine, they take a snapshot of what's going on, and they okay. just prescribe, in my opinion, willy-nilly for that condition, and, and all that drug is, does is suppress the symptoms that you're having right. and it never never really ever getting to the root of why you have that and you know in, in his case you know he, he could have been a past smoker which did contribute to the rigidity of you know his veins and arteries and and until you get rid of the rigidity i don't care what i give you until you until we deal with that you know he's still going to need to take his blood pressure medication and i think right. too often we just say oh man we just want to i just want to stop that it's got so many side effects well you know, death is the worst side effect, in my opinion. So, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, like, why would you want to stop taking your blood pressure medicine oh, or, or your blood sugar medication? Yeah. You know, what would you rather, you know, like, what would you rather do, have a little bit of drowsiness from your blood pressure medicine or be dead? Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think... And I love I garlic, love nat- so, you know. I love natural medicine. It works. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it, it all depends on, on what we're treating, you know? Okay. Let's get to some, uh, totally change the subject here. Uh, sugar versus fat. What exactly is sugar? 
wow, I've never had anybody ask it that way. That's why you're on my show. My show's not like anybody <laughs> else's show. Okay? All right, so sugar, sugar's a very general term that we use it. Um, it could be uh, glucose, it could be fructose, it could be sucrose. Those are the three most common forms of, quote, sugar. Okay. They are the simplest form of carbohydrate. Okay. okay? Um, we've, we've all heard of fat. We've heard of protein. We've heard of carbs. Those questions are next. <laughs> yeah, right. So the most, the, the, uh, the most refined version of it, the, the form that your body actually uses mm-hmm. uh, would be one of those three. Okay. Okay. And those are what your body would absorb. And then once your body absorbs sugar, um, it could be used as a source of energy, uh, or for most of us nowadays, because we've consumed so many, so much sugar in our every, every you know diet and starchy foods that convert to sugar real easy, um, we've converted our bodies into what I call fat factories. Because when your body is like, hey, you know, I really don't need it for energy right now, it stores that sugar as a future energy source. We call fat. Okay. Now, this is where I'm curious because I'm, I'm going back to my high school chemistry here. So glucose, uh, it's okay. You know, again, you're on my show. This is, this, is, this is what I do to people, okay? But this is just basic terms, glucose, uh, yeah. C6H1206, okay? So we're talking six carbon atoms, 12 hydrogen atoms, six oxygen atoms. So if you have carbon and hydrogen forming this compound, that would be a carbohydrate, correct? Oh, I love that. Okay. So I'm making, yeah, you're, going, you're going back... You're making me have bad flashbacks now, though. That's okay, but, I want to make, but if, if, we, if we understand these connections, then it'll make more sense to people, okay? Yep. So, 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 those, so sugar is, in fact, a carbohydrate, right? Right, yes. Okay, so the body breaks down uh, the carbon, the hydrogen, the oxygen. I guess it breaks the chemical bonds, and that releases energy, correct? Correct. That's what keeps us going. Now, how do we accumulate excess sugar, and what does too much sugar do to the body if we need this stuff? Um, how, you know, in the body, how does it work? And, and so I want the mechanism and why, what's the good part about sugar and what's the bad part about sugar? Well, um, the, the good part about sugar is that, like, I'll give you an example. Um, in, in the right balance, okay. the, brain, which, the brain, which is really small, actually uses 20% of the energy in the body. Okay. You can just imagine, just, just, just your thought processes and all the things that the brain does for your body, okay. it uses 20% of that energy source, which is sugar. Okay. In, in the right balance. When we get over, overloaded in sugar, mm-hmm. um, that excess sugar or, or a diet that's high in sugar is actually shown to age the brain. Okay. It's shown to age the brain and even more so when it, uh, in the effect of its effect on our memory. Um, too much sugar uh, causes damage to the veins and arteries in your, in your blood vessels, which I was kind of just talking about with the previous caller. Okay. Uh, too much sugar... Uh, it will have a negative effect on your eyes and, and vision and your kidneys. And, um, and again, like I said, if your body's functioning right, um, you're, when you have too much sugar, your insulin kicks in. Okay. And it's the insulin is used by the body to store that excess sugar as fat. Again, the idea was as a future energy source. Okay. Regretfully, regretfully, we have an abundance of sugar in our everyday diet and or those those carbs like starchy foods like pasta bread rice potatoes that break down real easy into to sugar, sugar. Yeah. that's the connection I wanted to make so carbs the breads the pastas the things that we want to limit actually break down in their form into sugar yep yeah there's an enzyme your body produces naturally it's the way God created you called okay. amylase okay amylase amylase is like a pair of scissors and it takes that complex carbohydrate called starch, which is in the foods we just mentioned. Like potatoes and, and that kind of stuff? Yep, yep. And it okay. cuts it up into little pieces. And when the pieces get to be small enough, 
they are sugar, and then the body can absorb them. If they don't get cut up into those little pieces, uh, then your body's not going to absorb it, and you're not going to have that negative calorie effect. Uh, you're not going to have the effect on your blood sugar. You're not going to have an effect on your cholesterol, and you're not going to have, you know, uh, and again, anything that is sugar, um, you know, in excess causes damage to so many different areas of the body. You know, and, and I just okay. pointed out, you know, the brain, which I know is going to be the right. last of our segments. You said that earlier. Well, today, no, but, so. but that's why I want to make that that connection. That's why yeah. I started with sugar. And I don't think people realize that sugar is a carbohydrate. The carbohydrates are breads and pastas, and they break down into sugar, and they're all connected. And I wanted right. to I wanted to get that out. Okay, eight thirty-five yep. in the morning. We got to take a break. Carl's on the line. I want to give him time to talk to you as well. And so uh, we'll be right back in just a little bit. Thirteen thirty WEBY with the herbal pharmacist David Foreman. Thank you, Rudal. Let's bring back uh, David, and uh, let's get our, our caller on here right away. Carl, why don't you go ahead? Hey, good morning. Morning. Well, I missed part of the first show. So oh, don't I, do that. I'm not sure. Well, there are certain things that have to be done. Oh, I understand. Know, I'm so, just teasing. Uh, errands and chores and things. But oh, yeah. you're going you're gonna have to be put in timeout. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Limited but, amount of time left, so let's uh, uh, let's get right to questions and answers. Yeah. So I'm not sure what you address, but it sounds like nutrition and supplements and things, and that's great. Everything I've heard sounds good. So we've got so many kids now. And I don't want to, it's, uh, it's a touchy subject because a lot of times parents don't, you know, don't feel like they don't have any options. But the, uh, the kids on Ritalin or whatever they put them on, it's a stimulant for attention deficit or to focus or whatever. Uh, I guess there's different things. Are, are there natural things that can be done? Because the side effects seem to be... Uh, Maybe almost as bad as the uh, you know is the problem they're trying to solve. I've noticed that that uh, there's a craving for sugar with Ritalin and the stimulant, and that causes uh, kind of, uh, digestive problems and teeth problems and growth. And there's growth uh, delay in some of these meds. Yeah, that's a great so, question. So, uh, is there a good natural? Uh, I mean, a real effective natural. Uh, well, uh, you, well thing for, you yeah. Thanks, Carl. So, yeah, so, great so, question. So, yeah, great question. So um, you opened Pandora's box, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short and sweet on this. Um, so there's, there. I can't really say there's anything that's comparative to the effectiveness of the drugs they prescribe um, with with regards to you know ADD, ADHD. Um, but having said that, there are uh, numerous things, and it's actually part of the, the topic that um, I know, Greg, we talked, we were going to talk about anyway, which... Um, Go for it now. We, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm going to jump right in with this. Yep. So, so, so the, the bottom line is that, you know, we, we really, we, we do all these things that age the brain or, or negatively affect our ability to, you know, remember and concentrate. Um, and I talked earlier about how sugar, can, you know, goes along that lines. Well, I've come up with this, what I call my ABCDs, um, for uh, nutrients that actually help feed the brain. Uh, too often times we, 
we do things because, you know, whether it's a kid or whether it's me as a 52-year-old guy, you know, um, but we do these things. We often go after foods and, and or stimulants because somewhere during the day you're just not focusing. You're, not, you're having memory issues. You're your concentration lags, and we often reach for things that are not good for us. And what I'm teaching you today is if you add these four, a, my ABCD, to your everyday diet, um, that are one, it'll feed your brain, so it'll help with memory and concentration focus. Uh, and two, uh, these things will actually help um, with some of those cravings we do have for those things that are not healthy for us. So the first, my A, I said ABCD, A is for avocado. Uh, avocados are, uh, are, are awesome in nutritional uh, combinations of B vitamins and, and, uh, and good fats that actually help the body um, in, in you know, uh, feeding the brain. Help, uh, studies showing that avocados can, can help with memory and, and, uh, and learning. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that for a minute because I won't go to be just yet because avocado, you know, we talk about fat. Everybody thinks you hear fat, it's instantly bad. But there are good fats. You know, there are, there are bad fats like trans fats and saturated fats, and there are good fats that will help you. Can you kind of give us a quick uh, overview of fat and then we'll move on? Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're fat freaked out, and we, we actually now know that, that you know, we, we actually need a diet that, has, that is actually higher in fat than, than we all thought. Going no fat was one of the contributing factors to why, why we're, there's so many people overweight right now. Which is counterintuitive um, from everything we've heard. It, it, exactly. Yeah. So, so but, but fats that come from, from nuts and seeds, so like uh, almonds and pistachios and, and, you know, macadamia nuts, those are really high-fat nuts. Uh, walnuts are another one of my favorite ones, especially with this topic of memory. Okay. Walnuts are, uh, are high in omega-3s. Um, so there's good fats and there's bad fats. The bad fats, you just mentioned trans fats, which man has manipulated. What are um, those? And, uh, they're, they're, they're chemicals that are man, made by man. So, okay. um, so I, they're not necessarily like one of those things that are going to necessarily be naturally found in, in a food. Okay. The saturated fats um, that are found in chicken, beef, and pork, we're finding out that they're really not as bad for you as we thought. They're only really bad for you if you have a crappy lifestyle, meaning you smoke and you eat, you eat, eat a lot of other stuff that's not good for you, you know, these refined processed foods. But, okay. um, and then the best fats are the ones, like I just said, you know, come from cold water fish. Avocados are a great source, nuts and seeds. Those are all great sources of good fats. We know that a diet higher in good fats helps in so many health aspects. I couldn't even cover them all in the, in the remaining time. Okay. Let's get B. So B, again, A, B, C, D, B for berries. Pick one, your favorite ones. Have a, a serving size uh, three to four times a day, I mean three, three to four times a week. Um, uh, again, uh, berries high in, are high in antioxidants. Uh, they also help in the body's fight against inflammation. We know that one of the reasons that people have uh, problems with, uh, with thoughts and brain health is, is inflammation. Mm. Uh, and so a uh, diet that's high in berries will help decrease that. So that's B for berries. Uh, C is for uh, a, a product or an ingredient called cognium, C-O-G-N-I-U-M. Uh, cognium is a unique protein um, that actually energizes and protects the brain. There are actually uh, over uh, nine human clinical trials showing that cognium actually helps energize the brain. It actually helps force I said earlier the brain runs on sugar, mm-hmm. and the, w- the way cognium works is it actually helps to, to move the energy source to the part of the brain that needs it at that moment. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. What's the source of this? Yeah, and so 
the, the neat thing is that uh, the studies show, and it works as, in as little as three to four weeks okay. at helping improve people's memory and their concentration. So um, for me, I like things that, you know, feed my brain and energize it. Uh, the best part about this is it's, it's, it's stimulant-free. So, you're, you know, a lot of things that energize you are stimulants and not healthy for you. Cognium is not that way. It's, and it's real easy to find. Uh, this is a, um, uh, again, it's a unique protein. I, I found it at my local Rite Aid, my local Walmart, and my local vitamin shop. So it's real easy to find. Okay. And then last but not least, least my D, again, A, B, C, D, everybody, dark chocolate. Got to remember, it's got to be dark. The darker, the better. Okay. That means it's higher in, in uh, higher in cocoa. We want to you want to shoot for seventy percent cocoa or higher. Uh, and, and keep in mind, the higher the content right. of cocoa, the more bitter it's going to be. Cool thing is, if you don't like dark chocolate, studies show that as an ounce and a half a day, which isn't very much, right. um, is you know an ounce and a half to three ounces would be perfect. Um, the, the, the science behind it shows that it helps improve circulation. Remember earlier I just talked about cognium mm-hmm. helping uh, uh, with energizing the brain. Uh, circulation is part of that component of cognium. Well, dark chocolate helps uh, stimulate circulation. It also contain, contains other compounds. Flavonoids, uh, I've heard. Pardon me? Flavonoids? Oh, I, man, if we were in the studio, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd high-five you. <laughs> no, I, I do that research. I'm impressed. I, you know, I, I, get, I do a lot of uh, interviews nowadays, and, you know, I don't usually run in. No offense to all the other ones that I've done guest you know, appearances with, but yeah. you know your stuff. You yeah, know, you're thank into you. it. So, yeah, and, uh, so, yeah, Titan flavonoids. So dark chocolate, again, shown to help aid memory, attention span. Yep. You know, so the, so the gentleman who just called and asked about, you know, the, the Ritalin thing, you know, no, do any of these work? Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that, you know, if I have a child, or actually there's an awful lot of adults, I'd probably be one of them. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like I was probably the, perf- the poster child for ADD as a child. It's just I felt like I was a highly functioning ADD. I can handle many tasks at once without necessarily getting overly distracted. Um, but I do eat a lot of avocados. I'm not a big chocolate fan. Um, I started uh, taking Cognium on a regular basis. Um, I really, I actually can feel the difference. Uh, I already eat a lot of uh, berries on a regular basis, but these, you need to feed your brain and stop giving it all these things that are what people think are a quick fix because those quick fixes are actually causing more health issues down the line. Yeah. With regards to brain health, they're actually affecting your memory and the age of your brain in a negative way. So, yeah. again, ABCD, it's simple. It's easy to add to your everyday diet. And... Um, and you're going to be sharper for it. <laughs> okay. Hang on, Deb. We've got to take a quick break. I got, and we've got one more caller. So, Steve, we're going to take right after the break, and then we'll talk about your book. Okay? What do you want for a food show? <laughs> oh, this is too much fun. Uh, before I bring um, uh, Steve on, uh, Dave, why don't you give your contact information before I forget? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, one stop, everybody. It's my website, which is herbalpharmacist.com, H-E-R-B-A-L-P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T.com. And you can then connect to my blog, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, people can even uh, email me their questions. About today's topic, 
or topics as you've been doing, uh, or even a, something else that may be burning that you <laughs> didn't want didn't want to talk about on air. Which I oh no, I talk about yeah. everything on the air. But in yeah. fact, we have to have you back because I only got about a third of my questions asked. So let's get to cool. and, and we have to I stop. Love that. I love when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to stop a couple of minutes before nine anyway. So let's get Steve on with his question, and then uh, Steve, go ahead. Thank you, Greg. Your guest has put out outstanding information. As you may know, diabetes is the uh, the the U.S. is the highest rate of diabetes in the whole world of all the nations. Uh, corn syrup and uh, high fructose corn syrup destroy pancreas. It's in sodas, pastry, packaged foods, donuts, cookies, candy. Uh, please discuss this so your audience will know because it's in everything and it's destroying their pancreas. Excellent question. Thank you, Steve. It's it's not just destroying your pancreas. It's doing so many other things and and. Uh... You know, like I mentioned earlier, just on the brain component, you know, of of uh, these these foods that it's not just beverages that we're consuming, but foods we're consuming that are high in sugar. Um, whether and and high, and high fructose corn syrup is like sugar on crack, in my opinion. Um, and it's in everything. What's it in? You know. Oh, it's. I mean, it it's in. So remember when I talked about earlier, we kind of migrated back in the late '70s. We migrated from. Uh, well, I would consider like an everyday normal diet to a low fat diet. Okay. That, that that's when like new guidelines came out for low fat. And when we went low fat, um, when you take the fat out of a food that it's normally contained in, um, we have to add something else in there. They had to add something else in there for flavor. Okay. And so in certain foods like cottage cheese, they add more salt. So if you go to your grocery store right after we finish the interview today, you, you pick up a a, a, a low fat no fat cottage cheese and, and pick up one that's the, the regular, you know, unadulterated, as I call it, mm-hmm. and look at the sodium content. There's going to be a lot more sodium in the one they've taken the fat out of. And, and so, and then in other foods, crackers and cookies and whatever, when they started taking the fat out of those foods, again, all these things are processed anyway. We probably shouldn't be eating them to begin with, um, regardless of whether they have high fructose corn syrup or not. Um, I feel like the more we manipulate a food, the less nutritious it becomes step by step. But um, we added... Initially, sugar, but high fructose corn syrup. You don't have to use as much, so it does. You know, it's easier to it's easier to um, cook with and, and manufacture other foods. So it's found in anything that they wanted to sweeten or enhance the flavor of. Mm-hmm. That's what they often went to because it's a lesser expensive uh, way to do it. It's more concentrated, um, so it makes it easier to to make the foods that so many people are eating these days. Yeah, but Steve was saying it actually damages organs like the pancreas. Yeah, you know, I have it, it does that, but I mean, it's in my opinion it damages everything. So, like okay. for me to just dial in on one thing, you know, and and I haven't really seen like super compelling saying it's it's more pancreatic than anything else, and that's why I hedged on you just then or hesitated. Oh, that's okay. No, that's but, why you're here. I want to know. Yeah, yeah, because I I don't necessarily target in on that. Um is is do I believe it's a major contributing factor? Yes. In my, you know, have there been that many compelling studies out there that, that literally focused on, on high fructose corn syrup and mm-hmm. pancreatic diseases? I, I'm unaware of those. Okay. They, they might be out there. It's just I can't know everything right off the top of my head. Well, that's okay. We only have we only have a couple minutes left. Uh, I don't expect you to know everything. I don't. You know, but uh, <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> Tell me I'm about. Pretty, I'm yeah. super freaking smart, but I'm, I don't know everything yet. <laughs> <laughs> Work on it. Yeah. Eat more walnuts. Um, Four Pillars of Health, your book. You have about just a couple minutes to tell us about that. Yeah. All right, so um, my philosophy on health is four pillars of health, and I believe that we need to have all four of these areas in equal pro- proportions to be healthy. And 
Um, so that's my philosophy on health. Uh, and they are diet, exercise, spirituality, and supplements. And I feel like we need, you can't just be good in one of those areas and be a healthy individual. And I can easily give examples of all, all four where I've known people that excelled yeah. in, in one of those areas. Spirituality, yeah. I think, is probably is the one we haven't covered yet. Yeah, yeah, and you know that, that one. That one means a lot of different things to people. For me, yeah. for me, uh, my spirituality is I'm, I'm a Christian, um, and that's what works for me. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I've been for almost well, a little over ten years now. Um, you know, some people get freaked out when you talk spirituality. Not in this area. Uh, pardon me. <laughs> Not for the pastor, so I, yeah. I get that. Um, but yeah, so for me, you know, uh, I, I read my Bible on a, da- a daily basis, but I, you know, I believe in the power of prayer, okay. um, and so spirituality, um, you know, it can help calm you, it can help heal you, it can. There's so many aspects of having a strong. I just what I don't like is when people just dabble in it. They they glean a piece of this one and a piece of that one um, because they don't like all the other parts that go along with it. And for me, on spiritual, if I, I have friends that are. Um, you know, I call myself a hardcore Christian. I have friends that are hardcore Jewish, hardcore Muslim, right. and I love that because you know what? Then they're all in. Yeah. They're, they're they're trying to practice what it preaches, and you know anybody that does that, they're usually they're usually going to be the quote good person that everybody thinks we should be, or they're going to try. They're at least attempting to be that way. Okay, but, that's but, that's pretty much all the time we have for. Oh, cool. I'm <laughs> so, sorry to go on like no, that. No, it's okay. Like, I want to get you back. It, and no, it's my pleasure. This is David uh, Foreman, the herbal pharmacist, and this is Greg. Pen- You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. cool. See how much fun we have here? <laughs> anyway, I was just playing uh, David Foreman, the herbal pharmacist. That was an interview I did back at WBY on May uh, 30th of 2017. So that was, that was brand new. We had a producer. We had all kinds of stuff. We had a lot more local callers then because the station had been around for a while and people knew all about it. Most of our listeners uh, are spread further. Uh, that was a local station, so we had a lot of local calls But because we, we had national guests. But with uh, Action Radio Now, we're national and international. Uh, in fact, our international is growing quite a bit. It's at least 15% of our audience is, is outside the United States, uh, which is pretty huge. So back to present day, we've got a couple of folks here. We've got, let me make uh, live uh, Diane Warner, our election integrity reporter. Good morning, Diane. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Good. How are you? Yeah. I'm on a great time. I mean, we had we had politics at first, then we had uh, health and nutrition, and uh, now we're back to uh, to uh, land stuff, flooding, and more politics, which is the way it goes. And our special guest, Chris Kerb. Chris, welcome to Action Radio. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning, morning Chris. All right, let's give a round of applause for coming on. on. <laughs> there you go. Now it's official. <laughs> I love it. We're glad. Yeah. We're glad. So you're this on. is. 
this is how things go here. It's very, very informal, very improvised, very, I don't know exactly, you know, where we're going to go, what we can talk about. So really nothing's off the table. Um, so I want to find out all, all kinds of stuff. But uh, Diane, why don't you start? Any election integrity? Or do you want to go right to Chris, introduce him, and then he can tell us all, all the stuff he knows in one hour? And it might actually take more than that, but yeah. we'll see what we can do. <laughs> go ahead, Diane. No, let's, let's go ahead and go with Chris. Chris, can you talk okay. a little bit about yourself? Well, yeah, um, I grew up in Alabama, um, went to Auburn University, and I have a bachelor's degree in civil engineering, and basically been the center of stormwater management for the last 25 years, uh, well, longer than that, but 25 years with Escambia County, and uh, now in the last couple of years, I've been working, doing uh, advocacy for flooding uh, for uh, the panhandle, uh, Hadn't made it quite to Okaloosa County yet, but uh, we have a Flood Defenders page, uh, Flood Defenders-Panhandle page, um, and we have a web page, flooddefenders.org. We're a nonprofit organization, um, uh, nonpartisan, and uh, basically what I do is uh, I help organize neighborhoods to talk to our government and get them to fix the flooding problems, make flooding a priority. Um, and, and it's a real easy solution. And of course, you know, it, it takes a lot of work. You know, uh, the, the, the neighborhoods that, that uh, I get involved with, um, I tell them, you know, one of the things I tell them is, you know, this is not me, the people, this is we, the people. And, Good. you know, when you, yeah, I mean, when you go to, they don't feel uh, so alone. Yeah. Well, th- that's true. I mean, but from a standpoint of getting our elected leaders to uh, change how they're doing things, well, me getting up there by myself and at a board of county commissioners meeting and just saying, "Hey, you need to do better with this, or do this, or do that," uh, it doesn't have uh, as much push. Uh, with just me now if i've got exactly. a neighborhood of six ten i've i've scammy county i've had as many as 30 um flood defenders and flood defender t-shirts uh we have red flood defender shirts that uh i give to folks who want to come to board meetings and speak what not blue for water awesome. <laughs> was it like a big huh? water drop on it not blue for water? I'm just uh, kidding, well, they're just red shirts as I am a flood defender. <laughs> okay. Well, I think it has a little you know. symbol for flood defenders, which is a, is a, a flooded house, uh, so to speak. Uh, I would say red for stop. Stop the flooding, yeah. Okay. Yeah, stop the flooding. Uh, um, I, we have a, several logos. Uh, uh, one is Paradise Shouldn't Flood. Uh, one that I have uh, is Rise Up. So, you know. Everybody should rise up well, before the water does. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great. How did, wife, wife, okay, this is fascinating. I'm sorry, I think I stepped on your joke. I'm sorry, you might have to tell it again. Um, why flooding? Why was that such an interest to you? What? Um, How did you get involved? Well, in um, I've been doing stormwater all my life. Uh, I mean, um, well, all my adult life. Uh, I went to college for civil engineering and. That's not I started a out being right. environmental yeah. when I got out of college, and mm-hmm. then uh, I've just been doing stormwater for Scammy County, stormwater management for Scammy County for 25 years, and 
You know, you go out to somebody's house after major flood events like the April 2014 event, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you see the damage that's done by flooding. And, and the the bad thing about it is, is I know how to fix it. And it's real simple to fix it. You know, our government needs a plan. They need codes to protect people. Um, they need to invest um, in staff resources and invest in projects and invest in our infrastructure. And they need to what maintain what, what we got. Do what? What did you think? Uh, I just saw in the Pensacola News Journal, and they had it on a it was on February the 7th, and they said they are going to be adding a million dollars to uh, do a lot of paving and, and put an environmental code enforcement officer. Is any of that going to help? Yes. Um, that, that's an investment in, in your staff resources, which Santa Rosa County has been needing that a while. Um, I, I went to that, that board meeting and, and – uh, Tiger Point area, and uh, they've got three new site inspectors that they'll be voting on it Thursday, and one code enforcement officer. And you know, Eskimi County did the same thing several years ago. They hired three—they call them lot grading inspectors or site inspectors—and you know, they they used to build houses in holes over here, and then wonder why they flood, and then call up engineering and go, "Hey." Uh, we got a drainage problem over here. Well, let's go. You built the house below the road <laughs> in a hole. Yeah, so that's why it's flooding. Got to be and smarter than building it. inspectors. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, why didn't the building inspectors stop that from happening? Or, or yeah. another issue is they filled in a roadside ditch when they built the house. You know, why, why are you allowing that to happen? And that's part of the protect part. I mean, you got to have codes, and you got to you got to have folks to enforce those codes and, and you know and you got to have a plan to do it with both have a have a land development code uh, that has you know uh, loopholes is probably the best way to put it or weaknesses yeah. or or they a lot of times lead lean toward uh, development rights versus property rights of the people who live there, you know. Um, and, 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 I, and I get it. I mean, you know, development increases uh, tax revenue for our, for our government. Um, so yeah. I get that. And, and developers are in business to make money. But they shouldn't be impacting the existing property owners that live there and impacting our natural resources and, you know, flooding people building out. Up, yeah, building up, building up higher than the neighbors. <laughs> well, that, the neighbors. That, that, yeah. that's, a, that's an issue with uh, enforcement and having a plan. Um, I'll give you a real good example on that. In 1996, uh, County had a whole brand-new land development code, real similar to Santa Rosa County's land development code. Um, and it's been revised many times. I've been a part of a lot of those revisions. But they had a subdivision overall lot grading plan. They had requirements for how lots are supposed to be graded. Uh, had minimum requirements. And, and that code's been changed a little bit here and there over the years. But 
one of the things that when you're doing a single family dwelling is you want to drain that lot to drain to your drainage system. Of course, if you don't have a drainage system to drain it to, well, what do you do then? And that's one of the problems in, in the Santa Rosa County is having is, you know, drainage infrastructure is kind of a side thing that, that has, has been overlooked for years. And, and Scammy County's had the same problem over here. And, you know, you have to have a coordinated effort and a, and a plan to address that type of stuff. Uh, give you a real good example of codes that are are, are weak in Scammy County and Santa Rosa County. Both are in the process. They're in the, I guess you might call it the land development code amendment mode. <laughs> but we're using rainfall data from the 1960s. Now you say, well, what, why is that a big problem? Well, um, Scammy and Santa Rosa County both have a 100-year storm, and, and that doesn't mean you're going to have a storm of that magnitude every 100 years. It means you you have a 1 in 100 chance of having a storm of that intensity, duration, or frequency. The problem is the 1960s rainfall data, it's actually published in FDOT drainage manual, and it's been there for years, and our local governments go, well, if DOT uses it, what's wrong with us using it? Well, a 100-year, 24-hour storm is 13.44 inches in the DOT manual. But there's national data that's out there that's called NOAA, uh, National Oceanic Administration, uh, Atmospheric Administration, and, and uh, their data is... Uh, Roughly 16.2 inches versus 13.44, and that would be... Three inches difference, yeah. Well, yeah, but that could be huge. Three inches. Now, that, that's at the Pensacola Airport, which would cover, you know, south south and central Escambia and Santa Rosa County. The other rain gauge that, that we have in our area is in Jay, Florida, and the difference there is two inches more. Well, you know... Two inches is, okay, that's, maybe that's not a lot of water. Well, when you multiply that over acreages of land, that is a lot of water. And it accumulates in a watershed and causes major problems, like, you know, Hurricane Sally, April 2014. You have roads and, and bridges washing out, culverts washing out. I mean, it's ponds breaching everywhere, and people are flooding uh, I can remember one neighborhood over here on Eleven Mile Creek, Wilson Park, 160 properties flooded in that, and their houses had water all the way up to the top of their garage. And, oh wow! You know, yeah, and and in Hurricane Sally, it was a hundred. Um, now there are federal programs. Yeah. There are federal programs to mitigate those, like FEMA has a hazard grant mitigation program. Uh, I believe the state just put out $22 million for buyouts for um, the Department of Economic Opportunity um, for Hurricane Sally. A buyout is where you have a repetitive lost property. In other words, it's flooded multiple times. and it has Get out. <laughs> yeah, you know, what do you do if, if it's flooded multiple times? Well, you only have two options. You raise the elevation of the house 
or yeah. three options. Hey, you do some kind of drainage project to fix it, or you basically buy the house out, demo it, and turn it into conservation land. And yeah. that's what the county's been trying to do in, in Bristol Park area, House 11 Mile Creek, for, I think I had a, I can't remember, it was $7 million after April 2014. We bought out 17, we got approved for 19, but we bought out 17 homes and demoed them right there along the 11 Mile Creek. Well, they're not going to flood if they're not there. And that, that's kind of the <laughs> mitigation <laughs> That's fascinating. Hey, let me just jump and, in here for a second what, here. What people don't understand uh, once you're done, is... Yeah, once you finish this point, go ahead. Then i got a question. Yeah, what, what people don't understand is your federal tax dollars go into paying FEMA to operate, and your in, insurance premium in flood zones don't near cover what damages there are. You, you know, so we're, I mean, paying for stupid, uh, we're paying for stupid people to buy houses in flood zones. That's the worst thing. Let me. Um, That's ridiculous. Hang on a second. It is. Let me. Uh, uh, let me. Just to give you an example. Um, U.S. taxpayers have paid uh, one trillion dollars since 1980, and more than 850 billion dollars since 2000, and two thirds of those costs are, are natural disaster costs. I mean, that's a lot of money. Why should we be bailing out these people who are building in a flood zone? That's my, you know, if you're dumb enough to build in a flood zone, that's on you. That, that shouldn't be the taxpayer's responsibility. You're you're right, but this is the thing. Back when all this started out, insurance companies are like, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna insure people for flooding. <laughs> and, so the federal government stepped in, and they're like, "Well, somebody's got to insure them." So that's why, you know, that's why our flood insurance rate maps are out there that tell you if you're in a flood. And, and those maps have major inaccuracies as far as the reality of flooding. For example, that Bristol Park subdivision I was telling you about, um, most of that subdivision is not even in the flood hazard zones of a hundred-year storm. Now it, it, it's on some of those flood insurance rate maps, they do, uh, some of them do areas where there are 500 year flood zones, and maybe that's what we should probably be doing versus 100 year flood zones. But, that, you know, that that's a big debate, too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, hey, Chris, let me let me jump in here for a second because I want to kind of we have a, a national audience, actually international, and I want to present a more general view to sort of tie this in because and this is this goes for folks that don't have necessarily the, the flood situation, although a lot more do than I expected. I, I was going over your website earlier, uh, like New England, we had the, the I was in the blizzard of '78, uh, in San Francisco I was in the earthquake of '89. Here I was in Hurricane Sally, which I think was 2020. I, th- I think we we're, were switching Ivan and yeah. Sally around, but the point is that flooding. Um, let's let's talk about uh, our area here. So for folks who don't know, where I'm in Milton, Florida, and Santa Rosa County, we're the second last county before you get to Alabama. Escambia is the next one over west of us, uh, Okaloosa the east of us, and we're up here in the Gulf of Mexico. And so we have very sandy soil. We get a ton of rain. It's completely opposite um, than uh, than where I was in California. But let's just talk about flood management. Let's get the basics, then we can get some of the more specific problems with our county and some of the other things. So the problem is 
rain and storms and lots of it. So let's describe how this works. So, so, so what are the basics of, of flood management? If we get hurricanes like we do here, we get tons of rain. You know, let's talk about the soil and, and, and the storm drainage. Let's see what we have existing that works. Let's talk about what doesn't work. And then I want to get to Diane's questions, which are really good. And, and part of the reason you're here is the individual housing projects and how they're screwing up everything uh, and the government letting them. <laughs> So let's, let's go with the basics, just basic flood. How, bi- how bad is the problem of flooding nationwide? Because I don't think people realize, I didn't realize it until I read your website, Flood Defenders, how bad this really is. More than 50% of the people that flood in the United States, well, roughly 50%, it may be a little bit less. I know in Santa Rosa County, uh, in Hurricane Sally, I think it was 43 or 46% of the homes that flooded were not, had flood damage are not even located in the flood hazard zone based off flood insurance rate maps that FEMA puts out. So, I mean, that right there alone tells you there's a problem. We're not doing something right if places that are not supposed to flood, places where you have to have flood insurance to, to, you know, get a mortgage, then, you know, yeah. Something's not being done right because it's, it's right. flooding outside what we're we're saying is gonna flood. Well, nature doesn't so, read the maps. <laughs> but what is a flood? Let's get to, well, let's get to the real basics. What exactly? How do you define a flood? How much water are we talking about? And what are the normal ways that, uh, especially in Florida here, that we take care of all this water that rains down upon us? How's this supposed okay, to work? Okay, um, I, I got you. Um, well, we build stormwater ponds, uh, put in What's storm pipes. Inlets, um, and there's code requirements that tell you what those minimum requirements that engineers have to do when they design mm-hmm. a development or design a capital improvement project. Um, the the stormwater ponds in our area are based off a hundred year storm, and that's kind of a national standard. Okay. Uh, Gamey County didn't change theirs uh, to a tw- to a hundred year storm until after the April 2014 event. It used to be a 25-year storm over there. That's a one. That's a one in 25 or a four percent chance that you'll have a rainfall intensity, duration, and frequency. Now I say this intensity, duration, and frequency because there's rainfall curves, and the way they come up with these curves is they take rainfall data. They got Noah goes back to like uh, uh, I think it's 1840s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not mistaken, and they take all this rainfall data and they run statistical evaluation on it, and they say, well, what is your chance for this frequency for a um, 100-year, 8-hour storm or a 100-year, 24-hour storm? And and they put them in tab- tabulations and make rainfall curves out of them. And engineers use those when they're doing stormwater management design. Hmm. The problem okay. is NOAA's data only goes that we have in the southeast region only goes up, up to um, 2012. It hasn't included the last 10 years of rainfall data. Now, Congress just passed an act. Called, it's called the Floods Act and the Precip Act. And, and uh, this past December, they passed an act that says that, no, you need to update your data no less than you know 10 years maximum. But you need to start updating your rainfall data. You need to make uh, manuals that tell your your legislation, your your state, your federal, and local legislations on 
how you need to do this. How, this is the data you need to use. In other words, they're trying to standardize it. They're, they're uh, trying to integrate it all together. Um, and that's, that's, that's big for stormwater management. Yeah. Um, well, let's the American uh, Flood Coalition is the, 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 my boss man who founded Flood Defenders. He's the chairman of the American uh-huh. Flood Coalition. And they, they are pushing this kind of stuff with Congress, state, and federal uh, governments. So I'm, I'm kind of the local pressure Hmm. But this is what I want to investigate but, uh, further. I want, to, I want to get some more scientific basics here. So what? why does land flood? What exactly is a flood? Why can't the land absorb the water? Well, let's, let's get to the, the real scientific basics, and then, then we can. I want to get more of the specifics into our individual problems. What causes a flood? I'll I, I make it real simple. If you take mm-hmm. a, cup, a cup and you fill it up with water and you put two cups in it, it overflows. Right. That's that about the way stormwater ponds work. Okay. Is, your, your your rainfall is is you know you're pouring too much water in a cup. Now, when you clear land, it's something called mm-hmm. a runoff coefficient. Okay. A, a very uh, landscape, you know, a lot of trees. Water has to run through the grass and the trees and the bushes, and and it takes time to run from one point to another point. Now, there's a runoff coefficient. Um, hmm. When you add asphalt, roads, and streets, you're increasing that runoff. The, the, the water is going to go through that land a whole lot quicker. So, okay. Or when your builders, or when your builders clear-cut. Oh. Yeah. yeah, clear-cutting or when you, is pretty yeah. bad because you're, you're, you're taking the whole land and you're, you're stripping all the vegetation off of it, and now it's just running across the land. So. Yep. You have to put in stormwater ponds to attenuate that flow. And and the way the code is set up is you, Scammon County and Santa Rosa County, and most codes are set up this way, is that you don't increase your flow rate after development. They call it post-development flow rate. It can't increase any higher than your pre-development flow rate. And there's usually a design standard, whether it be 2,500 years, 10 years, whatever. Um, and the average is a hundred year storm, and you use those. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? Hundred year storm. One in one hundred chance. Okay. So engineers have to design, and they go to the county and they permit the development. And the county reviews it and says, "Okay, you've met our minimum requirements," so they let them build it. If we're using the wrong data in the first place then we're building for yesterday's storm. Oh, I get it. Okay, and, so now it's making... It's it's so, yeah, you're building... So, an so our pipe ain't big enough and our ponds ain't big enough. Right. Well, let's talk about storm drains and things like that. We all know... I want to know where the water goes. And believe me, like I said, Dan, I want to just hold off for a second so I can get this, this basic established. And I really want to get into the county here. But stormwater. So typical storm management is we get drains, water goes into the drains, and then it goes somewhere. Where, where does the stormwater go here? So rain falls, it's on the land. Some of it's going to go into the trees, we hope, and, and, and be evaporated back. But a lot of it doesn't, especially when you're talking about the runoff now, if the areas are paved or the housing developments are causing the water not to uh, do what it's supposed to do. So what is it supposed to do? How much of it is supposed to get absorbed? How much goes into the soil, roughly? I'm just ballpark here. And what about storm drains? And where does that water, does it end up in the Gulf? I mean, where, where is the water supposed to go before it floods? Okay. You have two two things here um mm-hmm. 
you have developments that have positive outfall, and okay. you have developments that don't have positive outfall. A closed basin doesn't have a positive outfall. If you have a positive outfall, then you're draining to a wetland, a creek, a, a water body that goes to eventually makes it to the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. Um, if you don't have an outfall, in other words, you're in a closed basin. You're 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 in a bowl, so to speak. And when you're in a bowl like that, your ponds are going to have to be much bigger because now you're depending on the water percolating through the ground versus running off. Um, so your stormwater requirements when you're going through permitting, and Santa Rosa County's got a pretty good one. Okay. Uh, it's, I think it's a little better than a Scammie County's, but uh, they require that you consider your whole site as if it was completely – uh, a runoff coefficient of one. In other words, your whole site is asphalt and concrete. So if you got to store like a that whole 13.44 inches for a 100-year storm in your mm-hmm. pond. Okay. Scammy County does it a little different over here. They they allow you to consider what your perk rate in the soils is. So, um, But one of the things that's in Scammy County's code is they try to promote positive outfall. What's that? Santa Rosa County does a little bit, but that's what you want. You, you want to promote outfall. But a lot of times when you're in a basin, you, you can't get an outfall or somebody won't give you an easement to run it to the nearest wetland creek or water body after it's been through treatment in a stormwater pond. So oh, so I get treated. Okay. That's another thing. So. Yeah. It, yeah. I, when you design in the state of Florida anyway, uh-huh. There's state regulations that require that that water be treated in a stormwater pond um, or some type of treatment. There's there's other ways to do it. You can do wet detention, dry detention, bioswales. Uh, you can do green roofs. That helps with treatment of stormwater. What's a green roof? Um, and, and the okay. Green roof, uh, that's where you have uh, the Schema County Central Office Complex has a green roof. That's where you have vegetation on the top of the roof. Oh, a yurt. The, the Mongolians uh, do that. It's called a yurt. Water <laughs> yeah, it, it's I'll... pretty neat. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Of course, well, that costs you... a lot of money. Per- pervious yeah. pavement is is a uh, an that? option that that uh, you can you can allow water to perk through the pavement because it's porous pavement. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, well, it costs a little bit extra money, and you have to maintain Whoa. it a little bit better than regular asphalt or regular uh, concrete. But this is Florida. You know, we get we get so much rain here. We get more rain here in one day than I got in California in like two years. Let me ask one more question, and then I want to uh, have Diane ask a bunch of questions. Um, when the water goes into a, a storm pond, how much of it mm-hmm. is, is designed to evaporate, and how much is designed to to be percolated into the soil, roughly? Can you give me a percentage on that? Well, uh, it depends on where you're building the pond because everywhere okay. is not sandy soils. Like if you're in the north end of the county, you got a lot of clay soils up there. So that's not um, going to percolate. So it true. really depends on the soil type. There are ponds that are designed as wet retention ponds. In other okay. words, they hold water all the time. Huh. There are ponds that are designed with dry ponds where they're designed to percolate. Uh, the state of Florida requires that you percolate the first inch of runoff in like 72 hours. Okay. So in three days, that pond should be dried out, the, the treatment volume, Okay. if it's a dry pond. Wet ponds have what they call permanent pools, 
So your treatment is in the water being, uh, the, the contaminants and sediments being able to filter out through and fall into the wet part of the pond, the permanent pool. And a lot of times you'll have wetland vegetation, a littorial shelf that sucks out the nutrients and stuff out of the water, um, plant life. One of the big problems in Florida is we have all these wetlands. Wetlands is God's, Mother Nature's way of treating stormwater. Mm-hmm. And we have protection requirements for wetlands. You have to get permits to go into wetlands if you want to do a dredge or seal. Mm-hmm. And they, they try to protect them, but there's a, uh, the missing part of that is management. The wetlands are part of our watersheds. And What's a watershed? A lot of times, wet, you know, wetland management is discouraged. Now it, that that's kind of changed over the years. You, you, you're seeing uh, you're seeing stream restoration projects, whereas 20 years ago, um, a stream restoration project was I, I, you know that never happened. But you're seeing a little bit more of that in, in Florida now. This County County's done a few of them where you're able to go into those wetlands. Now you still got to get permit to do it, mm-hmm. but you're you go in and you. I mean, years and years of hurricanes, debris gets, nobody goes into those wetlands and cleans the debris out. Um, and a lot of those wetlands are creeks. You get beaver dams that go in there. I mean, you're, you're, if they're protected, you're not supposed to go in there except for with hand tools. So, you know, that that's a, that's a big issue that it will eventually get changed in, in regulations as, you know, it's just going to take some time. And and that's the way a lot of our regulations are getting the changes. I mean, so yeah, just to summarize. So we've got storm drains, we've got the Gulf of Mexico, we've got storm ponds, we've got percolating, we've got, uh, we've got evaporation. We've got the, the natural land, the trees and things like that. So I think I've got a pretty good idea of how it's supposed to work. Okay. Diane, (laughs) let's get into how it's not working. So this is more your department. Well, I know that the clear cutting is quite an issue, but you said one thing that I wanted to uh, clarify. You said the retention ponds, and that they do um, do they add chemicals to those at all? Is that treating? Is that included in that? Um, you can't. Well, treatment is considered like if water is perking through the ground. That's considered treatment. Um, vegetation. Okay. I just didn't up. know if it was now. There, added there are. Uh, there are chemicals that you can add. Like, like, there's a subdivision over here under construction, and it had a pond that overflowed into a drainage system that went into Carpenter's Creek. Well, while they were building this pond, there were a lot of clay uh, washing down. Well, uh, out of this yeah. stormwater pond, because they were under construction on it, you can add uh, um, chemicals that are called flocculants. Um, that that you can add that bind those sediments together and get them to drop out to the bottom of the pond. So there there are things that you can add, and that's usually most most of the time it's used during construction. It, um, Escambia County did a project on the called L Street Pond over here, and they were doing injection into the best pond right across the street from the jail. Um, they were set up a system where you do, I can't remember the chemical, but it's the same stuff that ECUA uses to treat water. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but 
where you put in, you inject it into the water as it's coming into the pond, and it causes the water, to, the sediment to, to, to flocculate out, to fall to the bottom of the pond. I want to use that word in conversation. I I can't wait to use the word flocculate uh, in conversation. That's just fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great word. Yes, we need to add more flocculants to our storm pond. Oh, really? It it makes the uh, the, (laughs) – your suspended solids stick together and and fall Mm -hmm. to the bottom. That's what flocculate is. It's just fascinating. I just never heard that before. Uh, Go ahead. I wonder if you know that our region here, Mobile, Santa Rosa, Skimmy County, we we get the highest annual rainfall in the nation. Really? Yeah. So why yeah. don't we get the most mm-hmm. floods then? So we must be doing something right in terms of flooding. Well, I don't know, like the middle of the country. as far as government funding. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay, let's compare uh, areas like New Orleans is is basically underwater. They're they're below the below sea level. Uh, so they have a huge project to handle that. Um, Missouri, middle of the country, uh, Kansas get huge floods sometimes. Um, Mississippi, Missouri rivers flood their banks. So how are these different areas dealing with it? And, uh, and if we have the most rainfall here, which is fascinating, I didn't know that. Uh, are we doing it right, but just not right enough? Or, or tell me about these different areas, and, then, and let's compare it to here. Uh, New Orleans, they, uh, the Corps of Engineers, um, you know, they got the docks around the city of New Orleans. They're built below uh, sea level. Right. So they have pumps that pump water out, um, and that's how they control their flooding there. Okay. Of course, when you have uh, uh, major hurricanes that come in with storm surge, uh, sometimes those uh, those dikes get overloaded. Um, okay. I think it was Kansas and Texas this year, um, this past year in 2022, they had uh, a 1,000-year storm. Um, wow. That, that's a good bit of that's a one in one thousand chance that we'll have some rainfall of that magnitude. That that's pretty significant. Um, California, just from Christmas time, I think it was over a two week period. Mm-hmm. They uh, they had their whole annual rainfall in a two week period. Yep, that's that's not that hard to so, do. So I mean, our, our our rainfall is changing, and that's. That's one of the reasons Congress passed this precept and this Floods Act is our climate's changing now. I, I'm not a, you know, a, a uh, global warming activist or anything. I, I can just tell you what storming, you know, storms are okay. doing. Okay. Well, let's let's talk real science because you know I was going to ask. The minute you said the temperatures are changing, you knew what was coming. I mean, you just know. So let's let's talk oh, I about knew real coming, but but I, I, you know all I can tell you is the rainfall. You know, thirty years I've, I've been in Escambia County, uh-huh. and before April two thousand fourteen, I, I, I never would have believed we'd have had twenty two to twenty six inches of rain in twenty four hours. I mean that's just unreal. Okay. Um. So, and we're having thousand year rain events. Um. In the United States, so our rainfall is getting worse. Hmm. Now, what's causing it? I don't know what's causing it. I, I don't know if it, it's it, it's um, you know burning fossil fuels and all that stuff. I, I'm I'm not into the Green New Deal. I do flood flooding. <laughs> right. You know that's what I work on is, is how do we adapt to it? Well, first of all, you got to have good rainfall data. And you got to have codes that utilize that good rainfall data that's not, you know, 70 years old. So, 
I'll give you an example. Uh, a thousand-year storm for a 24-hour period, that's 26 and a half inches right here in Pensacola, if it's in 24 yep. hours. That's more than an inch an yeah, hour. That's, you can that's, take that out to 60 That's days. outrageous. A thousand-year 60-day storm is 56.8 inches. Now, obviously, you're not going to design to that storm event mm-hmm. because, you know, you pay $300,000 for a home. If we had standards that required us to design to that storm event, well, your $300,000 home might cost you $900,000, you know? Okay. So you got to have a minimum standard, and it's got to be realistic. There, on the other hand, you don't want to design for a 10-year rain event, which, you know, uh, and DOT does conveyance on a 10-year storm for their conveyance systems. So you got to have a balance in your codes, what your minimum requirements are. And that's one what of the things like I've really been pushing as Camden County and Center of the County to do is to go with what we have now, which is NOAA out of 14. Um, raise that standard up a little bit from using the 1960s rainfall data. And, so what would and you like our county to do? Do what? What would you like our county to see our county do as far as adding um, codes? To, to utilize NOAA Atlas 14 and any updates to NOAA rainfall data, um, if they're going to, if the hundred year is the design standard we're going to use, then you need to use the most currently available rainfall data. Now, Absolutely. I've been told all the way back this past summer, Bob Coles said it when uh, at a meeting out at Tiger Point, uh, and he said, "Well, we need to start using NOAA Atlas 14." And, you know, I've been told it's going to be added in the codes. Um, and I, and I've, and it's been since, um, you know, Curtis Smith and Ray Eddington got on the board. Um, you know, it's been things that's been discussed. Yes, we're going to add this to the code, but it takes a little while to add it to the code. Escambia County is actually requesting this, this uh, more up-to-date rainfall data be used but they can't require it until it's written in code. They're also looking at um, uh, adding it to their land development code. So it's just changing to a, getting rid of obsolete design standards and, and, and using something that's a little bit more up-to-date. Yeah. So. Well, I think Carrie Smith <laughs> and, and that's the number one. Stormwater. Now, there's a whole lot of other issues like uh, – not, I mean, there, there's exemptions to subdivision requirements where a lot of times your state requirements don't get taken care of uh, because the way the county's doing, one of them's called minor subdivisions. Um, that's something that, that Santa Rosa County's looking at changing. Uh, you know, complete clear cutting, that, that is a major problem. And where you get into problems with clear cutting is, well, you got to allow silviculture, which is tree farming, because you got international paper here, and that's, that's what they do. You know, they, they cut trees down, they harvest trees. So how do you make a code that says you're allowed to do silviculture, but then you're not allowed to completely clear cut? You know, um, it, it's, it, you know, writing codes and laws are, are can be a little tricky sometimes. 
delicate balance, yeah. Yeah, there, there has to be a balance. And there's always loopholes in land development codes. There's always a loophole. There's, there's ways to get around. I mean, look at zoning, rezoning. Okay, you got a law that says, hey, this is how we're going to zone this property, and this is what you can do in this type of zoning. Well, we have a, I call it a loophole, but, I mean, it makes sense. We have a process where you can get that property rezoned so you can go hire density for your developments. And a lot of times these rezonings are done. You might have 100 people show up to a rezoning meeting going, hey, we don't want this agricultural land turned into high-density residential property. And all the neighbors are there, and then planning board will recommend, okay, uh, we're not going to have this rezoning. Well, then it goes to the Board of County Commissioners, and the Board of County Commissioners will overturn the planning board or vice versa. Yeah, I've watched them do yeah, it a that, lot of times. Right it's frustrating. The county. It happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's very frustrating. It I've right watched here. it happen a lot. <laughs> it happens more than it should. but And, and, there, and see, there are – reasons why you have codes and, and, and there's reasons why you have things like exemptions for example and then uh, and there's a reason there's why a you have a zoning board. board yeah 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 for, for example um uh large parcel exemptions that's where you got large lots that maybe i don't know four to 20 acre lots why would you want to make them go through all the regulations if all they're going to be doing is dividing them up into big lots? Or, or let's say that you have a family piece of property. There's, there's a family conveyance uh, exemption in Scandic Code. The guy dies and he has three kids and he wants to get divide that property up between his three kids. Well, he don't really have the money to hire an engineer to do a subdivision. And if you keep it in the family, what's the big deal? They might have one road that goes into three pieces of property. Um, they're all sharing that property because they're family. Well, where the loophole gets in is, well, how do you control that for developers that want to come in and say, hey, we're doing a family exemption? There's a subdivision right over in Santa Rosa County right now, North Diamond States. The guy did, I can't, it was 30-something lots, and he said it was family exemption. <laughs> well, <laughs> Uh, it wasn't family exemption because he's turned around and sold the lots to individual people, and he skipped all the regulations that he was supposed to go do for the subdivision. Very little drainage infrastructure in there, and it caused flooding problems to some of the residents in there. So how is that possible? So, Let's talk about the bad side. I want to know about the money, the graft, the corruption, who's being paid off, what's going on, what should be done, what isn't being done. <laughs> Some of our uh, – let's get right to the – got about 15 <laughs> minutes left. So let's, let's be blunt here. We've got a corrupt board of county be commissioners. Be blunt. Tell me exactly how bad the problem is, who's causing it, name names if they're public figures. Talk about you know national – I think we've got what D.R. Horton and Adams are like the big developers. They're national developers. They're fair game too. What's going on and what should be done? Well, uh, one thing I do is I don't give ac- accusations to anybody unless I have facts. That's fine. But there are a lot of things that you can read between the lines. Oh, um, please do. You know, I mean, read, read away. For, <laughs> Tell me. You know, for, far too often, you know, flooding 
from development negatively impacts the rights of existing property owners. Okay. Our, our drainage systems are overburdened. You know, it, it costs the county money to go fix problems that development causes. Well, wh- why does why do we have codes and and and, and care of the situation that that why are there loopholes in there? Why why do people get developers some developers get away with stuff that they shouldn't? Well, well, let's you answer that. Understand something, and, and I I do understand it. Uh-huh. Um, there's two sides to that. Okay. When when a subdivision of property comes in, that is good for the county. Growth is good for the county because that's tax dollars going into the county budget. The problem is a lot of times those they look at the growth and the tax money that's going to come in and they're going and it's more too far leaning on the development side and and it ends up costing the county money and capital improvements. Traffic is a real good example of that where our roadways infrastructure get get overloaded or sanitary sewer, for example, you know he got the city of Milton trying to relocate their wastewater treatment plant in a, on Blackwater River that's in a place that probably shouldn't go, but that's a whole other issue. It should issue. not. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a group called Save, Save Blackwater, and, um, you know, I, I, I unite with a lot of these different advocacy groups, you know, environmental advocacy groups, but flooding is my lane. You know, tree protection. You know, um, we shouldn't be cutting down 84-inch oak trees. You know, that takes them 300 no. years to get yeah. that big. You know, they should be protected. Well, why? Well, from a stormwater perspective, I don't know with actual numbers, but those trees soak up a lot of water out of the ground. You know, um, they, they take CO2s and convert it into oxygen. You know, I mean, they're, they're that's our ecosystem. They're, they're, they're great. Now, I understand that you need to, you need to, cut some trees in order to build something, build a home or build a business. Go and build around them. Nobody ever, we have this argument all the time on the show because of those that say, it's my property, I can cut the damn tree down. It's like, well, it's only your property <laughs> temporarily. Somebody owned it before you. Somebody's going to own it after you, and that 300-year-old oak tree is going to outlive all of you. So so I don't understand. I love trees, okay? So I'm, I'm you know, very biased about this. But, you know, you figure all the water that's sucked into those trees, all the, oxi- all the carbon dioxide that's converted to oxygen, all the evaporation out the leaves. I know how this works, transpiration stuff. I remember my high school, you know, botany, biology, right? So yeah. these trees are like water factories, you know, and if you're cutting them yeah, down, build around the damn tree, you know, get some creative architecture. Where are the architects? Where, I mean, I know these are factory homes and they're factory. It looks like some Michigan suburb with grass and I despise grass. It's absolutely useless. You know, we should have native plants in all these places. They should get a tax incentive for that. But why don't we engineer around the trees? Why don't we build neighborhoods with, with curving roads that, that go around the trees and we preserve the trees in certain areas will have the landscape for, for trees and vegetation. And then we have houses in other areas. We could plan some really beautiful model communities for the country right here in Santa Rosa County, Florida, and we don't do it because we have factory homes with you know, streets that go up and down, left and right. All the trees are clear-cut. They're built up high. The water drains off, and nobody gives it a day. That's the problem. How am I doing? It's all about money. Okay. Flooding is one of those things. It's all about money. Hmm. I mean, that, we can that, keep that, the big builders it, from... it costs more money to design to, to save trees. It costs... I'll give you a good example. 
You can mm-hmm. design a subdivision in, in, in Escambia County. There's, I can give you a real good example over here, but I won't, I won't really name names. But say you got a 30-acre piece of property and you want to divide it up into, I don't know how many lots, but say you want to divide it up into 80 lots. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you got to have a stormwater pond for one. And let's say how this big? property has a ton of big it, oak trees on it. Okay. In Escambia County, you're not allowed to clear cut that. You can only build what you get per- You can only clear cut what you build for your roads and your ponds. Hmm. When you come in to build those houses, that's when you got your, you can only pull permits to to cut those trees down. Well, what happens? Well, a developer can come in and he can go. I'm doing silviculture. I he clear cut the whole land for silviculture, and then he comes in and cements a subdivision. Hmm. I mean. <laughs> So, there's, so, there's so let's explain that because you've you've talked to me or, about this before. The silviculture is, he is like clear cuts it, and he gets a fine that doesn't cost him but a few dollars. Yeah. So you got to yeah. have enforcement. See that that's the problem with yeah. sediment control. Uh, is okay. You go out there and you, you find the developer or the home builder for or the the commercial develop uh, contractor for not controlling the sediments. You give him a slap on the wrist and. A, Two hundred dollar fine, whatever it is, three hundred dollar fine. That's nothing. Do you know it costs you a whole lot more than three hundred dollars to put up effective sediment control measures? At, so at the, the same time, so why does the why would a builder go out and put sediment control measures up? Because he don't want to be hassled by the county because he because all the dirt's washing into the drainage systems and to the wetlands and to the ponds. Hey, but, we've got 10 minutes left. Is there anything that you really wanted to tell us that you want to make sure you get on the show? Uh, yes. Um, there's two things I got going with Flood Defenders. We the people, for one. What I do is I help organize neighborhoods that have flooding problems, go to the board, and tell them, hey, this is a problem, we need a project. Um, or it's Something may be going through zoning. I, I help them organize a little bit, have a voice. I give them signs. I give them shirts. Um, we have a Facebook page, Flood Defenders Panhandle. But that's the micro part of the campaign. People, it takes people to change our municipal government. The macro part of it is, well, what is the overall goal? Well, make flooding a priority got to have a plan and 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 you know house bill 53 was passed what a couple years ago and now our municipalities have to come up with a 20-year wastewater plan and 20-year stormwater plan okay now we got a plan well did we in as part of that plan are we investing in those projects most of those plans that they came up with they don't have the money Stanley county has had a plan since um 2015, well, they've had a plan for a long time, but they put it together in a, in a, a list. Uh, it was, I uh, can't remember how many million dollars. It was 228 projects, 400 and something million dollars. They've only implemented or funded 8% of that since 2015. Their plan is missing the invest part of it. They don't put enough money into the infrastructure. Now, a lot of times they'll do grants, the dollar, but Santa Rosa County has got a great grant department, but that requires money as well because you got to have the staff and the people 
the resources to go get those grants to know when those grants are available. It's still tax dollars, but it's better it's when a it's lot not of work. Yeah. Of taxes. Um, you got to maintain and repair what you have. Um, Santa Rosa County, uh, I can't remember how many ponds. They got a lot less stormwater ponds than Escambia, though. But I've been out in the stormwater ponds in Santa Rosa County, and look like they ain't even been touched. Roadside ditches that haven't been cut and sediments filling up in them. Uh, Scammy County has almost 700 ponds last I checked over here, and most of them need to be rehabbed. A lot of them do. They have a backlog for rehab. They're down 48% on their road department as far as vacancies. I hadn't really checked in Santa Rosa County. I think Santa Rosa County's road department is probably a lot better off as far as staffing levels. But, uh, you know, you got to have a workforce that goes out and maintains and repairs these things. You know, if you don't change your oil in your car, your engine can blow up. Well, it's about the same way with stormwater ponds. If you don't go out there and maintain these ponds and these ditches, well, they're going to fail on you. Corrugated metal pipes. Uh, we've got corrugated metal pipes been in the ground for 80-plus years. They're, they rust out. Um, they, they need to be replaced. We don't even know where all the corrugated metal pipe is. We don't have an asset management system that says, hey, I got 200 foot of pipe on X road that goes from point A to point B, and it's corrugated metal pipe, and it was put in the ground in 1948. And this is computer age. Chris, this is a computer age. Why isn't this stuff on on a file somewhere with an alert system? You know, and this is all organized and coordinated and map overlaid and geologically surveyed and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's, it's called asset management. And there's programs out there that do it. Uh, Scammy County started one, but there again, they didn't staff. They didn't have a staff. They have a small stormwater management department division. And, you know, it takes years to come up with this. Now, they do have a pond database, but, you know, it, that's the type of things you got to have. I mean, we have technology now. Let it, let's use it. Um, you know, there's a capability right now that that if you have all your storm system modeled and mapped out, you can take live Doppler radar mm-hmm. and run it into a stormwater program. There's a program called ICPR, Interconnected Pond Routing. Um, and... You can dump Doppler radar into this program if you have it all mapped out. You know what you have out there. And you can tell what roads need to be shut down, when when it's going to happen, what, how much flooding is going to be on certain roads, where you're going to have your flooding, where you need to send your emergency crews, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's kind of like... Wow, that's um, fascinating. Well, it, the technology is there. But if you don't have basin models done of all your basins, and know where all your stormwater pipes are and all your ponds are, you can't model it. City of Pensacola has their whole boundaries model. Problem is, it's modeled off of using obsolete rainfall data, and they have a plan. But Scammy County only has like 18 and 41 basins models. I know Santa Rosa County just started. They have a Holly by the Sea is a basin study for that, but I think they have like three or four basin studies that they're getting ready to start this year. So, I mean, 
when I say basin, I'm looking at a whole watershed, like 11-mile creek. That's a watershed. Everything drains in 11-mile creek. That's why it's called 11-mile creek basin. Uh, Carpenter's Creek. Henry County just did a master plan for Carpenter's Creek over here. It cost about a million dollars, but it had a lot of, uh, let's say, master plan. It was not only dealing with stormwater. It was dealing with water quality, recreational benefits, major problems and erosions along this creek. Because over the years, development has encroached on this creek, and that makes makes the creek, you know, have flash flooding. So, but I could talk about drainage all day long. <laughs> <laughs> So what about this the people that they're um, about to hire? Um, do ahead, they do the people that they're about to hire these code enforcement officers? Could they implement that plan? Well, they're they're going to be yeah. you're going to have one code enforcement officer and three inspectors. Now, what they're going to be doing is looking at sediment control, how lots are graded, illicit discharges. In other words, people dumping stuff that they shouldn't be. Now, sediment is an illicit discharge, by the way, um, because it gets into our waterways and kills our ecological system, including our oyster bed. But, you know, there was just a shutdown of areas in, in uh, Petscala Bay area. Um, some of the areas that we were harvesting oysters no longer can uh, harvest oysters there. So... Um, there are ecological impacts to not controlling sediment. So that the three the three guys that they're hiring are going to be inspectors. Now, from a standpoint of implementing a plan, well, you need engineers and uh, project managers to implement the project that you have on the books. You do basin studies, you hire engineers to model a whole stormwater basin or a watershed and they come up with a list of projects and they identify areas that are flood prone areas kind of like your fema maps but on a lot more detail so yeah, uh, it sounds like something they'd have to write a grant to be able to get that yeah and, and then you got the other stance on, on this is well government is too big government's too big well um there are needs for government and there are needs for things that should be a little privatized, you know. I mean, uh, Tuscany County just this past year started, um, because of their uh, vacancies at the road department, they started uh, contracting out some of their maintenance of their stormwater ponds. Now, uh, Blood Defenders ran a campaign called Fix the Ponds, and uh, when we first started, and that was a couple of years ago, and a lot of the people that had stormwater ponds in their neighborhood were, we had it set up where you you put a picture in there and say, hey, this pond's not being maintained, and send an email to all five commissioners. So they started getting a whole lot of emails on pond maintenance. So their response is, uh, well, they hired a couple of contractors to do pond maintenance, and and, and that's how it works. You know, we the people. You know, it's it's all about you got to tell your government what you expect out of them. That's that's, so we that's do that. your first amendment. <laughs> let know? me let me just jump in here. We, we're going to tie it up here in a couple of minutes. Um, as you know, Chris, this is this is action radio. We don't just talk. And so, if you have a legislation, um, uh, you may actually have people do this already. Depending on your position, but uh, you know, we write all kinds of, of bills here, and a lot of them are local. 
And so if it's something that we should get to the county commissioners or the city council, or if they're model bills, other places that we should bring here, let me know. And uh, we can certainly work with that. Um, one last okay. question I had. Uh, well, cool. Uh, one last question I had was on the, the hurricane folks, uh, the emergency services. I remember going to a presentation that was very detailed uh, with emergency services regarding hurricanes. I mean, that seems amazingly well prepared for. Do you work with the hurricane, the emergency folks, emergency management planning folks? It sounds like you're doing the same thing because when you have a storm the, or a hurricane, the biggest problem is the storm surge. You know, the water that comes inland. I remember it rose like 14 feet here during Hurricane Sally. I remember watching it cover up our little gazebo by the, by the waterfront mm-hmm. here. And so do you, is, this, is there some coordination between the hurricane folks and the, the flood folks that should be done? Do you work together already? Um, what's, what's happening there? Well, when I worked for the county, I, I, I coordinated with, with those folks. I mean, uh, damage assessments is, Skim uh, County had a program where you do damage assessments. You know, three days after a storm, you need to know about how much damage you got as far as cost. Um, before there's a declaration done, before you get federal money. So I did when I worked for the county. Now, I, as far as a flood advocate, well, I'm I'm a member of the American Society of Civil Engineers. Uh, a lot of different groups that that I rely on to find out information like grants coming in. DEP's got a hundred million dollars a year for the next five years for flood resilience. Wow. Um, and what is that DEP? Uh, What's that? American Flood Coalition, who is, who is kind of the chairman sponsored or, or founded Flood Defenders here, the chairman of, of uh, American Flood Coalition, Jay Faison, um, he works with a lot of the state, or the, that coalition works with a lot of the state leaders, our governors. I think it's 22 states, uh, maybe 24. Hmm. But they have a site, AmericanFloodCoalition.org. You can look that up. But and a lot of things are progressing from a state and federal level, and I'm kind of at the local level. Now, do I talk to DOTs or the Corps engineers? Not the Corps so much, but do I talk to the Water Management District? Yes. Do I have I? Um, I had a grant for the Delano project over here where the jail blew up um, that I started when I was working with the county took them eight years to approve that grant for construction. Plans were done three years after the storm. That was a seven, eight million dollar grant. Hazard grant mitigation. That was a FEMA grant that goes to Florida Department of Emergency Management. Well, I didn't even work for the county, but I started that grant. So I called up, that's them. I knew a couple of guys. He's kept my contact there. And I said, hey, what's going on with this grant? You know, y'all been dragging feet on this and lo and behold uh, they they got it through i mean federal bureaucracy is just that it's a bunch of red tape and a lot of it's because we asked for all this bureaucracy you know you got environmental laws you got environmental justice issues you got all this stuff out there and there's so many laws i mean we're a land of laws um and and it drags things down. It slows things up. Well, there's good um, law and there's bad law. So we need to replace the bad well, law. Well, there's I, I bad law out there, too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah just okay. I listened to Coffee with Commissioner Bagosh in Scammy County this morning. Michelle uh-huh. Sossman was on there. Okay. And, uh, I know Michelle. She's been on and, the show. 
Yeah, uh, one of the questions I threw out there has nothing to do with flooding, but Florida recall. You know, and you know that's that's a good uh, legislation that Dr. Redman and she co co sponsoring that. Uh, okay, but you, you know, uh, I really think Florida recall needs to be you know statewide thing. It shouldn't be just for a few counties. You know, it, it that's where you get into that corrupt part where. I mean, if you're in a position as a commissioner and you're voting on stuff, well, yeah, there's there's situations where you could benefit from that vote. Now, state laws say that you're, you're abstaining from voting if you're going to benefit from it. But, you know. Yeah, tell our commissioners that. <laughs> you can't that. see everything that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. You well, know. let's talk I a little bit. Our commissioners should, commissioner should not be allowed to take money for their campaign from big builders. I'm sorry, that's just unethical. Yeah, well, I agree. Ours do. I, I get it. I get it. Um, Kerry Smith ran uh, over here, um, and, and when his, he was adamant, uh, I'm not taking any money from the Home Builders Association. I love it. You know, it's yeah. grassroots people that campaign, you know, mm-hmm. that, that support his campaign. Um, and he did so, it with not that much money, too. He won. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he got out and talked to the people. Um just this past board meeting, uh, Arbor Ridge Dirt Road Painting Project was added to the dirt road list. Um, that was in the Pensacola News Journal article. Um, that was an area ain't even in his district. Off yeah. Chidwell Road. I went out and took a look at that with him. Uh, I posted the pictures of that, a video of that on my Facebook page, Flood Vintage Panhandle. And, uh, I mean... This dirt road has been out there for, what, 28, 30 years? And county had a, a motor grader. All they did, you know, designated for that road to, to grade that road out. It turned the road into a gully that, that just dumps red clay in the Pond Creek wetlands and fills the drain system in on Tidwell Road. Kerry had that project put on the list, and it ain't even in his district. Because it's a problem. Whose district is it in? <laughs> uh, Calkins District. Uh, James Calkins. Gee, yeah. I'm so surprised. And he did nothing. Shocked. Yeah. That's what I am. Shocked. Well, you, you know, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> that carries main focus, I think, is infrastructure and fixing. And what he is doing will help you with a lot. I think that he's very serious about right. this, and uh, that's what he ran on. And he's actually fulfilling what he said he would do, which really reminds me of what Trump did, you know. And I, I love that. And that's we, we need more more people like Kerry Smith in office. I'm well, I, I donated to his campaign because I, I knew what he stood for. And uh, yeah, yeah, I I'm, I'm friends with him. I, uh, you you mentioned legislation for land development codes. Uh, Mm-hmm. We've talked quite a bit about changes to uh, Santa Rosa County's land development code. So, yeah. uh, and, and I bring it up at most board meetings. You know, in Santa Rosa County, I don't have as many campaign neighborhoods cause, uh, um, as I do in Escambia County. I got twenty of them over here. Um, uh, you know, people work; they, they have jobs, they have lives. They, they don't have time to go to board meetings every. Every couple of weeks, you know. That's um, why they schedule them during the day, so nobody will go. That's well, trick. That that's kind of changed a little bit in Santa Rosa County. Okay, good. Uh, Scammy County, they often that one week they or 
they have two a month. They have an afternoon at four thirty and a morning at, at eight thirty. You know, they alternate. And there's been a little bit of altering of that in Santa Rosa County, but you know, that that's that's. Isn't that up that to the changed. chair? Isn't that what? up to Col- uh, Colton? Isn't that up to Colton, right? Um, where, when he decides. Well, the Colton, Colton is the chairman, and yeah. he. He can propose what he wants to, but the board still has to vote on it. You know, I mean, that, that you know, um, um, but it, it's like Santa Rosa County's made up, their board is done a little bit different from Muskegon County. They have committees, and each commissioner is on each committee, you know, and it's like the commissioner runs how that's done uh, for that committee. Um Escamie County, each department is the one making recommendations, and 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 they work directly with the county administrator. It, it's it's just a it's done a little bit different over in San Rosa than it is in the county. You know, this um, is this is fascinating. So many counties around the country have different ways of doing it, but everybody has bad politicians. Everyone has good folks that are, are working with the people. Everybody can do something at the right. local level to help their own their home county out. Um, that's that's huge. I want to just quickly jump in here with uh, with Diane's uh, bill and that I helped a little bit on. With the, we have an election integrity bill, and so I don't know if we have a status update on that or anything you want to say on that. But uh, Chris, if you want to get behind that and other folks too um, for election integrity. Uh, Dan, why don't you summarize it if you can, and just uh, we'll get that on the, on, our, on our podcast too, so people can listen and, and do something with that as well. Um, well, I have handed off our bill to to our state representative, that's Joel Redmond. And Chris, I don't know if you know about our bill, but it's we're trying to get rid of the machines, and we actually have some news. We've got um, David Clement is coming into town. He actually got rid of the machines in New Mexico. And he's going to be coming into town. Let me look at the date on that. Uh, it's I think it was on, like the 19th. Was it the 19th? Yeah. I, I remember it. the 19th. Yeah. Yeah, Sunday. And Yeah, uh, yeah and it's going to be at Tiger Point uh, at their community center. It's going to be at 6 to 8.30. He helped eliminate the, the – he had Dominion voting machines in his county in New Mexico, but he's coming here to help. He believes Florida – is a, a lot of people in Florida are under the uh, assumption that the machines are okay, and they're not. I mean, we have zero transparency. And if we don't uh, get this figured out and get rid of our machines, then we're just going to keep having a selection instead of an election. And we also – so our bill – Do what? You said that 6 to 8.30 when? It is going to be on the 19th. Sunday, February the 19th at Tiger Point Community Center. It's on the our Action Radio and Election Integrity Project Facebook page. Okay. And um, okay, we cool. can also put that on Flood Defenders, too, if you want. And we can uh, move your some of your information over, and I can put it on our Facebook page as well of who you would like. You know, if people want to join Flood Defenders, we can actually put that on my Facebook page, too, or our Facebook page. Cool. And our, our bill also gets rid of it'll clean up the voter rolls immediately because we say that your voter registration, it, it expires on December 31st every year. And, and for 2024, you would have to walk back in personally to our uh, Secretary of Elections office and prove your citizenship because we have too many people that are not proving citizenship. You'd have to prove your citizenship. You'd have to prove where you live. 
and then you'd renew your uh, voter registration there. And then every year you would renew it online, just like you do your license. So um, clean our voter rolls up. We have very bloated voter rolls. But this way, you know, we're you can't always make sure that you have safe elections, but this would help clean it up a lot more, I do believe. And Maybe I'm you can post it on your site, too. Clement. Yeah, if they could post it on our on, – uh, post, post our, our bill on flood defenders. I don't know if you want to cross over that much uh, politically, but uh, I, I'd appreciate it. It would be cool. Well, um, we kind of got rules, no solution, and, and nothing off topics. But uh, Okay, that's fine. If, I just wanted to ask. If I can throw something in there about flooding. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I'll uh, play <laughs> any pages you have, any groups you have, any groups you know, Republican groups, any group that uh, you think might be interested, you know, folks, Diane knows folks. I'm, I'm kind of I'm sort of new here. You know, I'm kind of getting to be Well, the, cool, the, the core group is a good one, uh, uh, too, okay. you know, yeah. uh, with Andy Carter. It's uh, already on there. I'm on core. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Concerned Citizens of Navarre, you know, uh, there, there's a ton of them. <laughs> okay. Cammy County Citizens Watch. Uh so, so y'all are looking at doing this in Santa Rosa County, or is it is it for the the whole state? The state, Man. yeah, it's the, the whole state. state. It's the state. Well, I'm, I'm glad yeah. to see Dr. Remen behind that. Uh, well, I don't uh, know that he is behind it. I've handed him the bill. I he hasn't, but I actually got some news last night that from somebody that has quite a bit of influence that said that um, they heard that my bill was taken up by Redman, but I haven't heard that from him personally. So I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I I think that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, I've heard I've heard stories uh, about how these machines can be hacked and you know overnight. Yeah, they're all true. <laughs> they're all yeah, they're well, not the stories. Yeah. Hey, but you got to be careful when you start talking about that. Stuff. People start no, I don't. Conspiracy theorists. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Wait, so, so, so let's let's hey, let's get this I'm out in the open here. The Green New Deal so, discussions. <laughs> I don't. So, what is a conspiracy theory? I mean, uh, uh, you know, I mean, was it? It's just was it six months later? Well, it's proven as fact. It's only a theory until it's proven. If you, if you say something you that's against the agenda of other people, then you, you're uh-huh. called a conspiracy. I mean, I've been accused of being Fulanine at a board meeting by heckled at a board meeting in Gaming County before. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I wanted this to is... read scripture before speaking. <laughs> Well, listen, Chris, you're among friends here. There is nothing's really off limits unless you're, you know, violent, hateful or going to be, you know, causing uh, uh, like, you know, trying to do uh, what's it, public official threatens things. We don't do that. But as far as everything else goes, as far as exploring the topics. Yeah, I'll tell you what. And I don't know, you know, you call it conspiracy. There's nothing wrong with the conspiracy theory that just says the two people are conspiring, conspiring to break the law. That's what a conspiracy theory is. So given that definition, there's a lot of them out there. The election was a fraud. But what are the three big lies? Page group and, and oh, Facebook shuts you down. <laughs> well, they have our, listen, Chris, I spent I spent most of the, of my blog talk radio life, which is going on five years now, banned or censored or limited or something like that. I've been the whole, I don't care. The truth is the truth. That doesn't matter to me. Yeah, so this this is action radio. This isn't namby pamby radio. This isn't wussy radio. This is action radio. We don't care. This is the ultimate. This is the ultimate free speech zone. This is what we do here. So when I write a bill, I'll give you one example. This is totally off topic, but who cares? We're having fun. We're all over time. But I wrote a bill, a constitutional fun. amendment. Yeah, exactly. A constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. That would change everything. You don't think that's controversial? Oh, you think? Yeah. <laughs> 
I got another one to disarm the entire uh, bureaucratic infantry. You know, to disarm the feds. We don't we don't mess around here. So when Diane comes I, up with a bill of a, yeah, when Diane comes up with a bill of election integrity, and we go section by section and title by title, and we come up, we ban voting machines, and we make all voter registrations expire, so they have to be renewed, which automatically cleans up all the votes, and that serves as a model for the rest of the country. We're not messing around here, you know. And so this is what I we need to you. do. Yeah, so that's 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 where that's. I should have given the speech at the beginning of your hour <laughs> instead of now, but but that's basically where we are. Uh, uh, hey, that's okay. I mean, I mean, I'm a I'm a Second Amendment rights guy, and uh, okay, uh, give give you a little story uh, here. Uh huh. Stan McDaniel's. He was running for District Four, mm-hmm. and uh, he got uh, arrested downtown for open carry, and mm-hmm. I happened to be downtown talking to him, doing an interview with him. Uh, for flood defenders before he got arrested. Hmm. Somebody called my boss and said, hey, Chris is going to Second Amendment rights, uh, open carry uh, <laughs> rallies. And I'm like, no, dude, I was just down there talking to the guy because he's running for commissioner, you know. Guilt I mean, by association. Because the way I look at it is, okay, you got five commissioners up there, and, okay, they all put their britches on one leg at a time just like me. Some of them lean toward development more. That's that, that's that's what they do. Some lead more toward other people. That's what they do. All I'm trying to do is accomplish flood readiness, make flooding a priority. Um, so but doesn't it cost when, more if you're not we were ready? Going through all the elections, I was going through all hmm. the campaigns and I was talking to all the, uh, the, the you know the, the people that were running. So you know, um, Democrat, Republican. Uh, you know, whatever they stood on, because I wanted to know what they're, you know, were they with me or against me, you know? So, um, and it's the same thing with the commissioners that are sitting up there now. We might not always see eye to eye on stuff, but I'm still Mm going to keep coming up there telling them what I think, you know? But you have to. You have to. Well, let me ask you this one last question. what our government's about. We the people, you know, we're not going to change anything unless we get up there and, and tell them. You know, tell yeah. them what's up. So here, this is my last, last question. <laughs> I have a bunch of these right now. Um, doesn't it cost, it costs money to prepare, uh, to have a proper infrastructure to deal with, uh, with stormwater, floodwater, rainwater, things like that. But doesn't it cost a lot more if you don't prepare? Well, yeah. Okay. The so more the money delay, invested. The more you pay. So, the more you delay, the more you pay. Interesting. I mean, that, that's a, that's a common Thing I, I think I have a quote on our. Oh, we need a bumper sticker. Diane, do we have bumper sticker production? Yet? We need we need to work on that. <laughs> What's that? No. We need bumper stickers. Well, cards. actually, I have we have an Action Radio products division. Actually, we had some bumper stickers earlier. I'll get back in. I need a graphic person and some other stuff. But yeah, we need to start putting these things down and you know and in messages and you know meme form and all kinds of other things. Okay, I'm done. Thanks, Chris. I think Chris uh, should Diane? come back and give us. I think he. I think Chris should come back and give us the updates, a weekly or biweekly or monthly or something. Well, certainly before hurricane sure, season. I mean, so that, we, that, we definitely that, have that. But, I'm an yeah. advocate. I love talking to people. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, come back anytime you want. Talk, yeah, you know, you talk to Diane first. And, yeah, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. If you hear something that really pisses you off, just call us. 215 We Spontaneous calls. But, uh, yeah, it happens all the time. Hey, listen, we had uh, Cowboys for Trump. We had uh, Coy Griffin call in yesterday. Uh, Josie met him, and it was kind of spontaneous. I found it like before. It's like, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> I don't care. I, I'm, with is, you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, um, okay. the, the, I don't know if you know Michael Jones over here build, building uh, meaningful, meaningful communities. He's in the no, Beach Haven area. Uh-uh. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he puts out stuff, YouTube videos and stuff like that. Oh, bring him on. Uh, bring him on the show. But, bring him uh, on as your guest. He, he might be a, a good okay. individual, too. Gene yeah. Valentino. Uh, oh, I know Gene. He used to be a commissioner over here uh, yep. in Escambia County before mm-hmm. Underhill. And, you know, he comes to a lot of those meetings, you know. Uh, so, you know, I, I try to run in all the channels. And, and, you know, the way I look at it is people are people. You know, everybody's got good in them, and everybody's got bad. You're just trying to look at that angel on, on their shoulder that's telling them the good stuff and, and, and trying to encourage them to do good things and and tell that little demon on the other shoulder, hey, you don't need to be doing this. So, you know, yeah, shut the hell up. That's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? I just said, shut the hell up. You know, I just, you're such an optimist. Right. I love it. Let's, let's end. Let's end on that note, uh, Diane. If you have a final, uh, first of all, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. You're always welcome back. Yeah, thank um, you. I'll, I'll talk to Diane. Yeah, about how often. I'm, I'm sorry. And Diane, do you have like a final question point or anything else? I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you, and then uh, I'll, I'll give my final announcement and play a couple things. And we're done. Diane. Well, I did have I did have one question, but it's, it may oh, take go a ahead. minute. No, it's um, okay. But there go was some it. drainage. Are you you still okay to talk, Chris? Yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. Um, on Bell Lane, they are talking about putting some the drainage and tapping it into the county's drainage uh, over there by Walmart. And they're talking about how that will, like, uh, hurt another pond that we might get sued over. Adults put their drainage out to go to tap into somebody else's retention pond, but then that might cause them problems and they'll get more of their discharge and and it won't be filtered and all that. Have you heard anything about any of that? Uh, no, but I can look into it. But from a stormwater perspective, you won't. Your ponds are designed to attenuate the flow. So if you and build they weren't going to create their own side they big enough, and and you have it overflow to another pond, if you if your pond upgrading is big enough, then it shouldn't have to impact the ponds downgraded or the drain system downgraded. This is so, right by Walmart off of Bell Lane and they weren't going to do, for, this is just, I'm just kind of looking at this as a side person. I have done a lot of, uh, of investigation into it, but it sounds like they were trying not to do their own pond, retention pond on their property and they were going to go maybe underneath 90 and then tap into, and it was well, like, I, I think it was there was one on Sterling Way, which is around the Bell Lane area. Is that the one you're yeah. talking about? And it was going to, it was going to tap in or like possibly potentially hurt Jeff H's retention pond across the way. And then, I mean, if that taps into his and he gets hurt, then it's like if you don't do it right the well, first time, then we're going to get uh-huh. screwed in the end because then he would, if he had an issue, then he'd be suing the county if it flooded his and ruined his retention pond. So it's like do it well, right the first time. Well, we might be talking about two different areas, uh, but I do know Sterling Way was one of those where the developer wanted to put a 96-inch pipe across the road. The county approved him to open cut it because he had a pit on the south side of the uh, property, downgraded side, and he was going to take that pit and convert it into a stormwater pond. From my perspective, from stormwater, that's exactly what you want to approve. Now, 
is it an inconvenience to the residents to live there while the road's open cut? Yes. Is there a plan for them to be able to safely get back and forth to their homes? Well, there, there should be, or you shouldn't approve it. Uh, um, but from a perspective of taking a, a, a pit, a bar pit on one side of the road and converting it into a stormwater pond, that is a great idea. It provides positive outfall for the subdivision on, on, that he's wanting to develop on the north side of the road. So, uh, you know, um, from that perspective, that's a good thing. Now, where the, the concern is, is, well, this is a private development and a private pond. Who's going to maintain that pond? Who's going yeah. to maintain that drainage system? That's where the concern is because – and. The state statute set up right now, if you get an environmental resource permit, that it either needs to go to a homeowners association or the public entity, which would be the county, to maintain. Um, I can, and that's some, something I hadn't really pushed a lot on. But private versus public, you know, um, public when stuff it, gets maintained when it filters into private. us. And- Right. Yeah, when know, it causes us as taxpayers a lot more money to fix what they did privately and it taps into public water and they don't take care of it on their property first. That's yeah. Well, you know, that that, that's a, a whole other issue too. You know, uh, I used to say this when I worked for the county, just because it's private now don't mean it's going to be private later. You know, after everything falls yeah. apart and then they want to come to the county and go, hey, can you take this over now? I, I've got a campaign in Stanley County right now. Perdido Estates, private. The roads are public, but the drainage system's private, and nobody's been maintaining it for the last, I don't know, 15 years. And now the road's yeah. muddy. And guess what? You know who's paying to fix yeah. the road because it stays underwater all the time? The taxpayers. Yeah. But because okay. the developer made it private, uh, the, the, our regulations failed this neighborhood, you know, um, and there's some of that in the Santa Rosa County as well. You've yeah. got private hey, neighborhoods that the regulations have failed them, you know. Um, yeah. Hey, I'm just going to hold you up now because we really do have to go, but here's what I want to do. Let's get you back soon, um, two weeks, three weeks, okay. four weeks, whatever, whatever we decide on. But let's talk about some specific case studies, and let's tell people that we're going to talk about local stuff. Uh, because uh, that way the national folks will go, oh, that's interesting, you know, and then they can apply it to them. But because uh, I, I, w- I would rather than cover a bunch of cases quickly, I'd rather take each one and spend more time on it so that people really understand it. And then they can apply that to, like I right. say, their own communities. So let's do that. So, uh, again, <laughs> for, the, for the last, last time, <laughs> um, thank you, Chris. Thank and, you, Chris. Uh, and thank I'm you. done, and uh, let's let you guys go, and then I'll finish up here, and away we go. So what's your Flood right, Defenders? You. Where, where do we find it? Oh, where do we find Flood Defenders? Flood Defenders-Panhandle on Facebook. Uh, Web page is just FloodDefenders.org. Sounds good. All right, everybody. We've got Diane Warner, ace reporter for Action Radio and election integrity expert. We've got Chris Kerb, Floods Unlimited. You name it, he knows it. And me, I'm your humble little host. 
<laughs> it has been fun. So I'm going to play a couple things here. Um, our websites for anybody that wants to know, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action is where you find us right now. Our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. My new articles on Substack are gregpengliss.substack.com. If you want to help us out uh, for contributions, uh, givesendgo.com slash actionradio. And, of course, we take sponsors. We have affiliate agreements. We have all that kind of good stuff. In fact, I'm going to play them for you right now. And I'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Central Time. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Okay, and I got caught doing other things, so I have to delay for a few seconds while I pull up our last announcement for the day, and then our musical selection, uh, which I shall play for you. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? 
It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.